where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skill team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Newpar hits it the other way. That's a base hit. And scoring will be Arenado. Albert on his way to third, and they throw it away. Albert, left center, well hit at the wall. Gone! Number 684 for the future Hall of Famer. 684 home runs. Albert Pujols. The 3-2. Put in play. A run will score. The game is tied. Edmund with a fly ball into shallow right center. Racing in Beerling. The tap. The throw. He is out at the plate. He guns down Carlson. I thought he avoided the tag. He's safe. He's safe. He is definitely safe. Cardinals will challenge and St. Louis will have the lead. Never once was that in doubt. Never once was it in doubt. Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario are alongside for the ride today from 11 to 2. I am Brandon Kyle. It is my final day before vacation, and I know some of you are celebrating that every bit as much as I am. We are broadcasting live from the EMB Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center following a card Knowles win. And ladies and gentlemen, we are celebrating wins now because they don't come too often for now, this team of late. Now BK's going to pump up what he's been telling us, that this is a good Cardinals team. This current version oh, of the Cardinals, go. I should be clear, is not a good team. What? Now, I think they will be good. I think they, they still have the talent. It's just a lot of it is on the injured list right now. And Alex, this is where I wanted to begin with today as the Cardinals have now lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of their last 11 games. I think that depth is a great thing to have until you have to use it. And right now the Cardinals are diving too far into their depth. You can't win consistently when you have the bottom four in the lineup that they had yesterday. The bottom three in the Cardinals lineup over the last three over the last week, Alex, is batting below 200 with a 5.30 OPS. The Cardinals have scored 11 runs in their last eight games. They are batting 135 with runners in position. This offense is in a really, really bad rut. And even yesterday, when they scratched across four runs against that Phillies team, when they had a bullpen game, by the way. 
you still went one for eight with runners in scoring position. It's not as if that was some offensive outburst for the Cardinals. But when you've got Newtbar and Sosa and Romine in the bottom three of your order, and you've got Corey Dickerson batting fifth for you in your order, that's just not a recipe for success. This team is really missing Harrison Bader and Brendan Donovan and Tyler O'Neill right now. And until you get those guys healthy, I'm not saying this is what you should expect. This is historically bad. This is this is every bit as bad on the hitting side as it was last year in June. I do think, though, that they're going to come out of this. It's just I, I can't tell you when that's going to be. Well, and that's the problem. You can say they're going to come out of this when they get these guys back. Tyler O'Neill's the one that you expect back soon. And Brennan, although with his setback, you don't know. Brennan Donovan, you expect back soon. But with Harrison Bader, I don't know if you can expect him back this season. I mean, it's kind of in Jack Flaherty territory because plantar fasciitis is no joke, especially for a guy who his whole game is surrounded by speed and defense. So with him, that's one player you're not sure if you're going to expect back. The good news is you don't have those bottom four in your lineup consistently when everyone is back. But what Tyler O'Neill are you getting back? What Brennan Donovan are you getting back? And with that, if Harrison Bader's not back, you still have to get something out of these other guys. So the problem really comes down to you do have to rely on this depth. This is the this is the grave you dug for yourself by only signing Corey Dickerson as that depth piece for you. Corey Dickerson has not lived up to those expectations, whereas there were other depth pieces out there. You kept Edmundo Sosa because Edmundo Sosa had a great season last year. At some point, you got to look to the players and say, you guys going to have to dig down deeper, although I know Ali Marmol had the comments over the weekend that kind of signified else. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to get some production from that bottom half of the order because they have not gotten anything from from them uh, so far this year. Their depth is being tested, and honestly, I'd like to see them give a run to an Alec Burleson that's down in AAA. Yeah, that's not going to happen. We don't have 40-man <laughs> roster spots anymore, T-Bone. I can create one, okay? I can really? Create, yeah. Well, who? Who? Okay. We did math Let's, last week. Who? Yeah, okay. Well, let's see. Whitley can be DFA'd. Honestly, Newt can be DFA'd at this Whoa. point. Newt Capel can be, can be DFA'd at this point. Look, I'm, I know you like his tongue out when he's catching the ball, but like he can be DFA'd. It's not, it's not happening I'm right the now. only one that's going on vacation soon, buddy. Yeah, Chill. <laughs> but, they, yeah, they've, they, the depth is certainly being tested. They clearly don't have the... The depth too. They can survive one guy being down. I think like we we've seen it without Tyler O'Neill, you can get away with it. But when you start to lose more guys like Harrison Bader being out of the lineup, and when Brendan Donovan is out of the lineup because of the illness, I mean you can just clearly see this team does not have a uh, the depth or really a bench that you can rely on in terms of going to. And it's one thing when you say okay, well you can have one spot in your order you're not going to get uh, any production from. And let's be honest, that's the catcher spot, batting ninth. They've basically got pitcher production hitting in that nine spot right now. But you can't have seven, eight, and then also the five hole not being able to produce at all because then you're going to go through what we're talking about where you're losers of eight, your last 11, where you've scored like basically a run per game over the last 10 games. So they've got to find a way to get better production from that bottom part of the order. And honestly, they're not going to have it probably internally. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today. Ollie Marmel yesterday was asked about his team's issues with runners and scoring position and this is no longer a small sample size I have to admit that I've just been wrong on this for the last uh, basically two weeks what's gone wrong how do they fix it here's Ollie Marmel right now is the offense looking great no was it a week or two ago yes um, there's certain guys that are coming back down from having a really good month in Donovan and Eddie and Yepes and they're all coming off at the same time um, which hurts. If you look at how we were scoring runs early 
it was a combination of things, but the main contributor was you had Donovan with a 950 OPS and Eddie with over an 800 OPS in first and second behind Players of the Month and Goldie and Nolan, right? So you remove those two things with Donovan, one, not being here right now, but just overall coming down from a very high OPS and Eddie struggling a little bit. And um, this is what you get. You get low run scoring games. But are we going to come out of it? Yeah, it's a matter of time. I think he's right. I, I do think they will come out of this eventually. I, I really do. I still believe in this offense. I think they're going through a really rough stretch right now, but I think you see a lot of teams go through something like this. I don't know if you guys noticed it recently, but the New York Mets went through a stretch where their offense was really scuffling. Earlier this year, the Dodgers had a stretch where for like two weeks, they just were not scoring runs. The Braves went through some of this earlier in the season. They went through a lot of it last year where before the trade deadline, before they ended up trading for those outfielders when they were out without Ronald Acuna there for a while, they were struggling to score some runs. And then they were able to get through it. They pushed through, and the Braves last year won the World Series. This year, uh, the Mets are coming through it right now. The Dodgers offense has started to come out on the other end. It will happen for the Cardinals as well. But over the last 14 days, when Brendan Donovan was still in the lineup, he was batting 167 with a 417 OPS. That is not the guy that we saw the first month and a half of him being up in the big leagues. Tommy Edmond over the last month is batting 205 with a 240 on base percentage and a 520 OPS. That is not the guy that we saw the first three months of this regular season. If those guys continue hitting like that, yeah, this lineup's going to struggle because you need somebody at the top of the order that can contribute. So that way, as you get to the five, six, seven holes, now you're talking about Yepes and Gorman and Carlson, and that's how you extend the line. Up. But when these guys combined have an OPS around 450 over the last two weeks, of course they're not going to be performing very well because they're the guys that are getting the most at-bats. And now you don't have anybody on base for the two guys that are supposed to drive players in. Yeah, it does feel like a lot of these guys that you're depending on have been put into a situation. And this is how it always seems to go when young guys are brought up, prospects are brought up, and you're putting into the situation. It seems to be somebody's gone down, obviously, and then those guys have been pushed into that big-time role. And it goes well for a little bit, but then you start to clutch the bats a little too much because when things start going poorly, you're trying to do too much. It happens in every aspect of this for the Cardinals. So you look at a Nolan Gorman or you look at an Edmundo Soso or a Lars Newpart. They know that the Tyler O'Neills and the Harrison Baders are out of the lineup. Then it becomes, well, I got to do my part. Rather than just chipping in here and there, it becomes, well, I got to be that big bat. And it just feels like everyone's trying to do too much, which results in these runners in scoring position struggle and also just the uh, struggles for these guys at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, and, and at the top. Like the, these two guys that we're talking about are at the top of the lineup lately, and they've made some switches I think to that. Tommy but... Edmonds is more fatigued, though. We've talked about that. That man has been overused and, like about as much as Arenado and Goldschmidt. And I think some of it's just really bad regression hitting Brendan Donovan. I mean, he was playing above his head for a month and a half. He's, he's, he was he's, a never a leadoff hitter for me. Well, even if he, like, I, I actually think he can be. I think he's fine. He's going to have a really good on-base percentage because he walks so often, but his batting average on balls in play, I know people get mad when I mention that, but there was some luck to the way that he was performing. He was hitting a lot of ground balls, and just like against a Dakota Hudson or an Andre Pallante, when you when you are that way as a pitcher, sometimes it goes your way, other times it doesn't. And it just kind of depends on how the defense is adjusted on that given day and how lucky you are. It's just the reality. The same thing is true for a guy like Brendan Donovan or Tommy Edmond. When they're hitting the ball on the ground, there will be some times where it goes really well for them. And then other times where it's two weeks and it feels like they can't buy a hit. 
that's just the way that it goes when you when you pro uh, profile that way as a hitter and you don't have a ton of power. So I think Donovan's going to be fine, but he's not a 330 hitter. He's probably closer to like a 270 hitter, and he's going to get on base at a good clip. And so eventually, it'll all kind of meet in the middle. It's the rubber band effect, right? It meets in the middle somewhere. Same thing is true for Tommy Edmond. He was not a 900 OPS guy, as we saw in the first month of the season. That was never real. He's closer to like a 700 OPS. He doesn't hit for a ton of power, especially against right-handed pitching. That's okay. But he's a guy that you can win with because of the way that he hits for average and because when he gets on base, he's always a threat to steal. I do think you're right, Alex. I think some of this is fatigue. But I think when those guys get back to something approaching normal, you'll be all right offensively if you get Tyler O'Neill back to being who he was prior to his injury. He spoke on Friday at the ballpark about a new injury that took place while he was down in the minors rehabbing and what it means for him in terms of getting back off of the injured list. Not what anybody envisioned. Um, you know, that's the unfortunate part about about playing is you're always at risk for um, for injury like that. And, um, you know, body was feeling good otherwise. Legs were feeling good. Feel like I was ready to come back and make an impact. Um, bat was feeling good. You know, I feel like I was moving good in the outfield. Um, it's just an unfortunate scenario for sure. So he has apparently some kind of tear in his wrist, which is exactly what you want to hear if you're the Cardinals. Ali Marmel said yesterday before the game uh, that Saturday he talked with Tyler O'Neill, and before the game he wasn't feeling great. After the game it seemed like he was doing better. Uh, he, today we're supposed to get some sort of an update on Tyler O'Neill, and if it's a positive report, it could come back sooner rather than later. If it's not, he could be out for a while. Guys, I think a lot of what the Cardinals do at the trade deadline is tied into today's report on Tyler O'Neill. If he's able to come back soon, I think you're fine with your offense. You don't need to go out there and try to acquire somebody to fill into his spot. If he's going to be out for an extended period of time, you can't keep running this out there with the current way that things are going with your outfield. You either have to bring up Alec Burleson, or if you just don't trust him in the outfield, which is possible, I don't know how they feel about Alec Burleson. When we talked to Mo, he seemed to indicate they think he's more of a DH option for them. If you view him that way, then you need to trade him, and you need to find somebody that can contribute to, to your everyday team. So now you're asking for a pitcher in your rotation who can be a two or a three, and you're asking for an impact bat at the deadline? Not an impact bat necessarily, but somebody that can be better than what you have currently. The guys that you're currently putting out there are almost guaranteed Better outs. defensively, though, because Juan Yepes is a decent bat. Well, he's uh, he's not an outfielder. Well, that's what I'm saying. So you want somebody better defensively here. Yeah. Did, or you need Brendan Donovan back, and he can be out there every day. But I think Brendan Donovan's gotten a little tired, too. At some point, though, it's going to be too much to ask for John Moselec to do at yeah. a deadline. Because we're already hesitant to sit here and act like he's going to go out there and legit add a impact pitcher. And now we're going to ask for somebody to replace a Tyler O'Neill. The reality is if Bader and O'Neill are out for a long time, it might make the, deal, make the deadline pretty easy for Mo. Not it might make, make it as simple as... Maybe we're not a buyer. Nice. Maybe we just kind of run this thing out and see where it gets us. And That's... instead of trying to acquire a starting pitcher or an outfielder at the deadline, maybe this is just the team and we see what it looks like when everybody's healthy or... in mid-August. That's going to look awful when you've got six all-stars on your team. I, I was going to say, or, or I think what it could do is instead of going for that impact, just that impact pitcher or an impact bat, maybe it is you just do the two little depth moves. Maybe it is kind of finding your Wade LeBlanc of last year and then going and finding some sort of depth outfielder that's maybe a fourth outfielder that can come in and 
take on a role of playing I mean, in left or right field. I find your Adam Duvall of a year ago. Exactly. Could have yeah. had Adam Duvall and, a year ago. And there's plenty of those guys out there on the market. Uh, there's usually outfielders that are always up for grabs when it comes down to this uh, time of year. So I think if anything, if O'Neill's not back, I think it makes the deadline more of I think you still buy as long as the team continues to perform well. If, if they start to really struggle continuing after the All-Star break, then, of course, that's a different conversation. But I think it's kind of a I – don't, I don't even know if you would call it buying, but it's adding by just getting two depth pieces. I think that's what it would determine. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kyle. We've got plenty on the Cardinals throughout the day today. Coming up at 1230, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. Katie Wu is going to join the show. But coming up next – the Blues' plans for this week are tied to a player who has no real connection to the Blues. What does it mean? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What do you hear about David Perron? I still think they want to bring him back. I think it comes down to can they clear room? They've been really quiet. Mm -hmm. Really quiet. That was Elliot Friedman, one of the best NHL insiders in the business on his 32 Thoughts podcast alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Green at Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues are hosting Prospects Camp this week. We're hoping to have some of those Blues prospects on the show throughout the week this week. But while the Blues are here for their prospects, they are trying to get some business done off of the ice right now. And that includes with David Perron, where as Elliot Friedman said, things are quiet right now. There's not a whole lot going on. Alex, I think everything for the Blues and really around the NHL right now, for anybody that's trying to figure out what to do with uh, Matthew Kachuk, is all tied back to Johnny Goudreau. It's kind of like, Tanner, you remember this from the NBA when LeBron James was a free agent. Everything stopped in the NBA's offseason for a while. And I think the same thing might be true right now with the NBA with, with Kevin KD. Durant. Yeah. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are kind of driving the offseason for the NBA and everybody else trying to figure out, okay, what do we need to do cap space wise? What do we have available to us trade wise? What what is the future look like here? And that's going to determine everything else. That's what's happening with Johnny Goudreau. Here's your latest update from Elliot Friedman on Johnny Hockey. So I still think we've got to wait and see what Philly does to clear cap room. I think they've got a lot of their guys kind of out there. They're testing the market on. I've said many times, I think that the number is eight times 9.5 from Calgary. I think there's been an indication the number may have to be higher than that. I don't think that Calgary's that crazy about it. My guess with a team like Philly is that they also have a number they don't want to go by. So I think we're getting close to decision time here. It's all tied to Johnny Goudreau. It really is. And what's fascinating is as much as Elliot Friedman says it's quiet around Perron and the Blues – it's also not quiet around the Blues because remember Jeremy Rutherford's report on Friday with us. Like Armstrong was having conversations with a lot of teams at the draft, but that's why it's tied to Johnny Goudreau because let's look at the ripple-down effect here. If, if Johnny Goudreau leaves Calgary, well, then Doug's got a phone call to make to Calgary to say, okay, hey, Matthew Kachuk, 
Goudreau's not coming back. He might not be coming back. Can we make a trade? If Calgary, for some reason, goes, yeah, I, I think we're going to have to move him here, well, then that changes your offseason completely. But if Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau both resign, or Calgary says, well, Matthew Kachuk's not going anywhere. If they don't have a change of heart, okay, option B. Well, now we got to go look at what Vladimir Tarasenko's contract looks like because Vladdy's 7.5 and, and Perron's 4-plus mil that he's going to be getting well, that's not going to work in our cap situation right now. So it all comes back to Calgary's decision with Johnny Goudreau, and Friedman also went on and said in his podcast that they expect that announcement at some time early this week. I would expect Calgary wants an answer before Wednesday's open a free agency. So the Blues might have an answer come Tuesday, but Perron's not going to happen as much as people want it to. Perron's contract won't happen until they have more answers and more clarity on what their offseason is going to look like. It's about flexibility. you got to be able to be flexible. Like If you find out on Tuesday that Matthew Kachuk is available suddenly, and you've already at that point re-signed David Perron, well, do you have the cap space to make that work? And if you don't, okay, well, now what do you do with Vladimir Tarasenko? Or if you trade Vladdy now and re-sign David Perron and you're expecting that Matthew Kachuk's going to be available to you, but then suddenly Johnny Goudreau says, you know what, I want to be back in Calgary. I've thought about it. I've went back and forth all this time. I'm going to re-sign eight-year deal, $9.5 million per year. I'm going to be in Calgary for the rest of my career. And then they re-sign Matthew Kachuk, and he's there long-term, and now you're without Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah. You've got David Perron on the contract. And what do you do now? Where do you pivot? Who, who's going to replace that production that you were expecting out of Vladdy? So hold the powder keg dry. Find out what it looks like with Johnny Goudreau. And if he ends up staying, now this is the path that you're going to be taking if you're Doug Armstrong. If he ends up leaving, it's a very different path. And I think it all just depends on what happens over the next 48 hours. That will determine what A, David Perron's contract can look like here. Because he might want more money than what the Blues are currently offering. I would imagine that's why he's unsigned still. So if he wants $6 million, you don't have that right now. But two days from now, they actually might have $6 million available to them where they can overpay on a two-year deal as opposed to going 4 or $5 million for three years for David Perron. I think it all ties back to what happens in Calgary. Well, and see, again, it's, it's, the, it's the after effect of all of this because I think Matthew Kachuk is another interesting element here. Does Matthew Kachuk sign a one-year deal with Calgary or does Matthew Kachuk sign a long-term deal with Calgary? Because if Kachuk doesn't get traded this offseason but he only signs a one-year deal, well, then this offseason is going to be setting up next offseason because Matthew Kachuk is still a real possibility. But if Kachuk signs an 8-9-10 year deal with the Calgary Flames, everything changes in that aspect. And you're right. You can't lose Vladdy and not get Matthew Kachuk. And that's how these off-seasons always go. There's four or five different things up in the air. JR made the 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 comp on Friday to talking about the Ryan O'Reilly. They started the conversation at the draft, but it didn't pick up until Buffalo got to the point where they said, "Yeah, we're going to have to trade him." The conversations for a defenseman might have already taken place for the St. Louis Blues, but they can't make a trade to acquire that until they figure out what happens with Perron, and Perron can't happen until Tarasenko, and Tarasenko can't happen until Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk make their decision. And with all that, too, it, with the Perron front, I, I bet that the Blues will have some, I bet there's kind of a gentleman's agreement to where no matter what occurs, I'm sure that Perron will come back to the Blues no matter what it is. He may come back and say, okay, I know you guys have gone through this path, but here's what I'm getting offered from in free agency. Can we make something work? Can you guys either A, meet my salary, or maybe B, he sees what the Blues do and says, you know what, I will take less and I will come back to St. Louis to be on a contending team because he could be getting bigger contract offers. We don't know who those are from, though. He could be getting uh, some contract offers from teams that he may not be convinced are going 
going to be Stanley Cup contenders. So I do think Perron will have the gentleman's agreement with the Blues in terms of no matter what avenue that we're talking about that the Blues end up going, that no matter what occurs, he will probably have connections with or contact with the Blues to determine what his next contract could potentially look like. The 314 asks a good question. Can't you overspend the cap now and sort it out before October? You can absolutely do that. But you know how hard it's going to be to move six, five, four million million off of your salary Man, cap? Other teams know you're over a barrel. They're going to say you're giving us a second-round draft yeah. pick or a first-round draft pick if you want to get rid of that cap. So that's why you, you can't make option A happen until you figure out B, C, and D if you're Doug Armstrong. Yeah, you're going to get a contender tax where... Okay, cool. You guys are over the cap. You want us to take on that salary? Normally, it would take a third-round pick to make this happen. For you guys, though, in your spot right now, because we know you're desperate, it's going to be a first-round pick because you don't have a second-round pick. So we'll make you pay that first-round pick to be able to unload that salary from Marco Scandella. The problem for the Blues is they don't have a choice if they end up going that route right now. So they're stuck. They're in a holding pattern right now until they find out what the future holds for Johnny Gaudreau. I would still at this point, like when I get back from vacation, I am fully anticipating David Perron being a blue. I, I think that will happen. I have less confidence of that today than I did a week ago. I had less confidence a week ago than I did a month ago. I thought it was a surefire, no doubt thing. I didn't even think he was going to get to this point. I thought we would have this thing done, signed, sealed, delivered. But I do think that in a weird way, I think it actually speaks to optimism around the Matthew Kachuk situation that David Perron is not yet signed. And the reason why I think that is because if they felt like there was no chance, no chance that Matthew Kachuk was going to be available. They would have already been making moves. I think you just get it done with David Perron and you say, you know what? Cap space be damned. This is our guy. There's nobody better on the market for us. Like maybe you think Andre Pilat is slightly better at this point in his career than David Perron will be over the next two years. But realistically speaking, you know exactly how. David Perron fits with Ryan O'Reilly, what he means for your team, what he means for this city. On the power play. Everything about him makes sense here in St. Louis. So you get it done. But if Matthew Kachuk is even a 20% chance of happening, you have to be able to explore that opportunity because those guys just don't become available, especially when they have this kind of connection here in the city of St. Louis. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any questions, we'll get to those coming up at 1145. But next... NFL evaluators seem really low on two young quarterbacks right now. ESPN put out their top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL as of today. We'll tell you the two guys that are too low on the list next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. opinions on who the best quarterback is in the NFL and with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley we'll share those opinions right now because the NFL's evaluators did exactly that ESPN is going through their rankings of the top 10 at each position in the NFL they asked executives coaches and players to make their picks and right now they're on the quarterbacks Alex and the top rated quarterback in the NFL is no surprise you want to turn on your mic nope Josh Allen nope nope uh, I'll go with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Nope. Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Aaron Rodgers, the back-to-back MVP, was rated number one. I've got no issues with that. He's been the best quarterback in you? the NFL each of the last two years. I think it's totally fair to but rank him at number one. you think he's miserable? I do. I, th- I don't think he's also, a particularly enjoyable person to be around. Devontae Adams seems to agree with he's me. He's got his new arm tat, which oh. that's going to be like – he's going to be Have like – um, that? Yeah. 
He's going to be like what's-his-face from Marvel. Why can't I think of the guy's name right what's now? What's Thanos? No, not Thanos. The dude with the metal arm. Oh, uh, the Winter Soldier? Yeah, he's going to be like Winter Soldier now, but with a football. Marvel reference. Love it! Patrick Mahomes is at number two in their rankings. I think we can all agree that's fair. Yeah, he's a product of Hill. Uh, Josh I don't know. He couldn't keep Tyree Kill. Josh Allen at number three. Josh Again, Allen did beat him. No issues with that. Tom Brady at number four. Again, if you have these guys, this top four, I think you could rank them in any order. And I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. I get that. That yeah. makes sense to me. Like, you could have Tom Brady at number one, and it's hard for me to disagree at this point. Like, okay. He yeah, looked washed sure. up last year, but sure. By the time you get to number five, that's where I think things get a little more interesting. And I actually disagree with their ranking. Joe Burrow had a fantastic season. And in the playoffs, while I think we might have overstated just how excellent he was early on, he was really good. And he came up with the clutch plays when he needed to. And he was a really good player. Number five seems really aggressive. They have Matthew Stafford at six and Justin Herbert at seven. Guys, Justin Herbert's better right now than either Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow. Did, I, did, did Justin Herbert play in the Super Bowl last year? Oh, yeah, that's God. a good point. Did Justin Herbert win a Super Bowl? No, he didn't even make the playoffs. T-Bone's right, BK. You and your NFL evaluators need to calm down a little bit. <laughs> Justin Herbert hasn't done anything in his career yet. Justin Herbert might finish this season as the best quarterback in the NFL. Well, is that is that a prediction of MVP? That's essentially saying he's going to be the MVP. I think he's got a real shot. I, and beat uh, the, the Winter Soldier? <laughs> He's got I, lions on his forearm, man. He's got a lot on his forearm. I don't know what to make of that thing. Whoa. <laughs> I, look, I agree with BK's assessment, though. I, I think Justin Herbert belongs at number five ahead of Joe Burrow. Look, I do think there are some of this. I, I think Joe Burrow is a top ten quarterback in the NFL. Sure, of course. I would put him at six. I would drop Stafford down to seven. If you I guys, do Stafford this is a little yeah. overrated. Stafford's only good because he's got Cooper Cup on his team and they I went out and got OBJ. They won the Super Bowl, but literally this time last year, we were not even putting him on this list. I know. I, I agree with you. I think he's a little oversold. I do think he's a top 10 quarterback, yeah. though, in the league, uh, but he's definitely not better than Justin Herbert. And I watch Matthew Stafford on a week-to-week basis. Justin yeah, we Herbert, know you're ranked. Yeah, you love the Rams. You love Stan Kroenke. Move along. Justin Herbert, champions. Justin Herbert, to me, would be sixth on this list because I do think Joe Burrow is better. You've got Burrow above Herbert. Burrow took an awful Cincinnati Bengals team and made them actually decent in his first season and then got injured, and then they sucked again. Did you just say he made them decent last yeah, year? He, no, two years ago when yeah, he first no, came he over. Didn't. They were they were close to 500 when he was with them. I thought they were like 1-7. <laughs> they were them. terrible. No, they were not. They were better than what they were. Yeah, which was the number one overall pick. To me, that's a pretty damn good quarterback for how <laughs> okay. bad that Cincinnati team was that Joe Burrow stepped in, and they were decent. I, He's sixth on this list for me. Matthew Stafford. They went two, seven, and one with him as the say, starter in 2020. What were they the year prior They to were Joe the worst Burrow. team in the NFL. Thank they, you. That's two wins and one tie. I'm convinced two, seven, and one was tied for last at that point. I think they were. No. They were terrible. No. And then in the meantime, you also had, you know, that Jamar Chase guy that came in that kind of helped him. Some would say Jamar Chase is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. Okay, that's okay. We've we've gone off the rails here. Uh, at number eight, this is another one that I think we're overestimating. Russell Wilson's at number eight on this list. Now, I like Russell Wilson. I have always been a Russell Wilson apologist. Honestly, he has not been particularly good for two years now, and the idea of him being ahead of on this list, Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson, who didn't even make it into their top ten. Yeah, that's absurd. That's baffling to me. 
Uh, Lamar Jackson, I, if I had to make my list, I think that, like, forget the order specifically of them. Joe Burrow's in the top, top six-ish. I think that you should have Justin Herbert there. You drop down Matthew Stafford. I would have Lamar Jackson at seven for me. I think he should be ahead of Matt Stafford, ahead of Russell Wilson, ahead of Deshaun Watson, ahead of Dak Prescott. On I agree list. with that. Ryan Clark, I, I heard him on Get Up this morning talking about this and being frustrated, and he made a great point. He said, "There's no." Or, uh, he said, "Lamar Jackson isn't a system quarterback because the entire system for Baltimore is Lamar Jackson." Yeah. I don't. What are we doing with Lamar now? If you don't want to pay him forty million dollars for the next six years or something. That is a totally different conversation because I don't know how he ages. I'm not saying it's going to go poorly, but there are more risks set, um, that are associated with a player that plays the way that Lamar does than a player who plays like Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. The risks are just totally different with those guys. But right now, if you're telling me I can either have for my team this year Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson, I'm taking Lamar 100 times out of 100. He's just a better player right now. I agree. Yeah, I, I would definitely put Lamar in this top 10. I I think I would. I get Wilson hasn't been good the last couple of years. I, I think he's going to be better in a better system now with the Denver Broncos, and I get that you can't really judge that based on that. I would keep him top 10. The guy I would remove, and, it, and it's just because I haven't seen him play, and I think that's why Lamar got hurt in this ranking was he just was the health last year is Deshaun Watson. I don't know what Deshaun Watson's going to be, and I'm leaving the off-the-field issues aside right now, which is hard to do. But because he didn't play last year, and it is hard to know what he's going to look like when he's in Cleveland this year, I just can't put him in my top ten, and that may change after this season. Who's the guy that you think moves up the most on this list after this season? I told you earlier, I I think for me, Justin Herbert. After this season, I would be pretty surprised if he's not a consensus top, at least top five. I think he will be a top three quarterback in the NFL after this season. I think your top three moving forward in the league will be Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and uh, Justin Herbert. Yeah, I think he's the clear-cut one because, I mean, I don't know if Burrow moves up that much from where he's at currently. Uh, Stafford I don't see moving up very much. I'd love to say Dak, but I'm to the point with him where I'm just completely out on Dak Prescott. Like, Between the injuries and just how inconsistent it is, it's hard for me to sit here and act like he's better than where he's ranked currently. Russell Wilson Russell Wilson maybe moves up a little bit now with a better team than what he had in Seattle, but I don't think it's going to move up significantly, so I think the only one that could move is Justin Herbert. Yeah, I think it is Herbert. I think he could jump three spots potentially from where he is on this list where he's ranked seventh. I think he could jump three. He could even jump four spots because I think someone like uh, Tom Brady, he may take a step back. Who knows? Aaron Rodgers could take a step back now that he has legitimately no weapons surrounding him. Devontae Adams is gone. Uh, so I think Herbert will be the one that jumps up the most. But, again, I think it's going to come down to can he actually get his team to the playoffs. And I get it. That's not all on the quarterback. But if they don't make the playoffs again, I can't jump Justin Herbert that much. But he's definitely the guy for me on this list. And if you ask me who I think could be number one on this le- list next year, I think it's possible you could see J- uh, Josh Allen at number one. Well, yeah. And the reason I say that is because I think he has a shot to win the MVP in the AFC this year. And then that team, he's basically in the – they need to win, and they need to get past their demons in the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think they'll do it this year. That'll be easy because they don't have Tyree Kill anymore. I'm going to look this up, but Tanner just said that as if he was going out on a limb. Oh, I know he's like the favorite. For I like think the he's AFC the favorite MVP. to win the NF, uh, the NFL's MVP this year. Well, man, have a little bit bolder. And I of know a take. that the yeah, Bills fine. are the favorites to win the uh, Super Bowl this year. So Tanner went out on a limb and I, said, I I'm going to pick the Super prediction. Bowl. Hey, hey, T-Bone, I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> Green Bay is going to be uh, not good this year. You know what? I hope I can go on vacation soon, too. That's impossible. You already did that. Remember, you went to Texas with your mom. Oh. You know what? Actually, 
Oh, never mind. I was yeah, looking at passing yards. I was looking at passing yards. I was like, wait a second. He's further down. Yeah, he's the favorite to win the MVP this year. Fuck <laughs> it. Put your money on it now. Now, this would be a bold take from the 573. According to Ferrario, Joe Burrow will win 22 games this year. Yeah, I'll go out on a limb and say that. 22. So there's 17 games in the regular season. And there's four playoff games. Oh, well. well, preseason. He'll win two preseason <laughs> <Yeah>. games. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex has him going 21-1 and one, uh, this upcoming season. No, he's got to win 22 of them. He's 22-0. and 0. Jeez. Okay. Uh, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I actually agree with Alex on something. I think I've joined his hype train on one thing in particular. I'll tell you what that is coming up in 15 minutes. Also, there's a new story that was just released by Benjamin Hockman over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch with some quotes from John Mosellock on how he approaches the trade deadline and something that he says is, quote, disingenuous about the way that he's been characterized at the deadline. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. But questions and answers, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, um, is Juan Yep as another example of someone who has come up in the scouting report is out on him now and his success is going to continue to decline. It seems like opponents have figured out a way to get him out right now. And unless he changes his approach, it's going to be ugly for the next couple of months. Uh, I think that what you're seeing with Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, and to a different degree, of course, Tommy Edmond, is that, yeah, the league has adjusted to them. And now it's their job to adjust back to the way that they're getting pitched. I think Brendan Donovan had a lot of success early on, partially because he's a really good hitter, but also because he got lucky. Like He wasn't a good hitter because he was lucky, but some of the results were, in fact, lucky. Juan Yepes hits the ball really, really hard. And when he does and he connects and it goes out of the park, it looks great. But he's had a couple of at-bats recently where it gets to the warning track, and that's part of playing at Bush Stadium, especially as a right-handed hitter. So I think Juan Yepes is fine. I think he's a a very talented and gifted hitter. I think he's going through what a lot of young guys do right now, where people are pitching him a little differently, and he's going to have to respond. This is how you become a major leaguer and yeah. a consistent major leaguer. How do you adapt to their adaption? Yeah, and I, I think he will make that response. And part of the reason I feel confident in that, and maybe it's a little bit of a uh, sucker's answer, is I he's working with Albert Pujols. He's always talking with Albert Pujols. He's by Pujols' side. All the time. Well, that's because he's the next Albert Pools. Exactly. So Albert, Albert's talking with him, and I'm sure the coaching staff has seen it as well. You see what the adjustments are, and then if you can make those adjustments, then you're then you're going to be, as Alex said, a consistent big leaguer. And I, I expect that from Juan Yepes. I think Brennan Don will be the same way. These guys, you watch them play. It's not just a flash in the pan. These guys are here, and they're here to stay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, has Jeff Albert ruined this team? Oh my gosh! Really? Are we really back to this? Can, can I go on a little bit of a rant before you, real quick, PK? Just a little bit. Be my guest because sir. the this amount is of, typically my job. But go ahead. The <laughs> amount of people that I have seen comment on Matt Carpenter's success. Oh, now, boy. first of all, Matt Carpenter, congrats to him. I know we joked last season about Cook Carp and things like that. The guy did it for himself. He went out there Still and he money. he he did a, he he found his bat again. And he turned it around and back into a major league career, which is awesome. 
So all he needed to do last year was to find his bat? Yeah, that's he all he needed to do. Did they play hide-and-seek with him in the locker pretty room? Much. For so, an pretty entire much. For an entire 162-game schedule? But for the amount of people that Played I have... Marco Polo with his bat and he never got to it. <laughs> I'm going to power through this. The amount of people that I have Somebody seen on told social Jeff media... Son of a BK, just shut it for a minute. <laughs> the people that are commenting saying Matt Carpenter got away from Jeff Albert and started finding success again? How can you argue that? Read the damn article in The Athletic that basically states, Matt Carpenter says, I started to believe in Jeff Albert's approach, and look where it got me. Read the damn article, people. Yeah, last year he believed in Jeff Albert's no! approach, and look what it got him. The article was in the offseason. Yeah. I believe Ken Rosenthal wrote it. Yeah, that's correct. He said he doubted Jeff Albert when he was with the Cardinals, and it didn't work. We cooked carp, and then he said, you know what? This Jeff Albert might be onto something. Boom! Carp's cooked to get No. Carp is cooking. Carp is cooking again. Thank you. The salsa. I think it's pretty simple. The mustache. I Matt know. Carpenter did everything you could ever ask a professional athlete to do. He, this offseason, basically said, I, I can see the end of my career. Like it's it's right there. It's right on the other side of this, and I can either bust my ass all off season and learn everything that I can, try everything, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks with my swing, or I can say it's over. Those were his options this off season, and he went with option A. I, I'm going to do everything that I can, and that included embracing analytics. And analytics are not just the nerdy numbers; it's also the sports science. And that's the stuff that he got into. He found out, okay, what is the best swing path for me? What is the best bat for me? How do I go about making everything so that it is, like, scientifically, basically, going to give me the best chance to hit the ball as hard as possible, as often as possible? And that's what he did. Did it with uh, Nolan Arenado. Did it with Paul Goldschmidt. He went to a couple of different places, one in New Orleans, one out in California. He met with Matt Holliday. Everything was designed this offseason to get him into a place where this could be possible. And it is so freaking cool to watch this, what he's doing right now for the Yankees. He's in the best place possible for it, and that takes nothing away from Matt Carpenter's success this year. But to your point, Alex, I don't think Jeff Albert has ruined this team. Now, we can have a conversation about is Jeff Albert, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to hitting coaches? No, sliced Pro bread is incredible. Pro probably not. Like, he's, he's probably... Just like a lot of the other guys that are heading coaches around the league. February 23rd, 2022, BK. Look it up. Matt Carpenter sought an objective analysis of what he was doing wrong. Jeff Albert, the Cardinals hitting coach since 2019, might have been capable of providing such answers. Carpenter, however, admits, I just never bought into analytics like I should have. Yeah. Albert, like all club officials during the owner's lockout, is prohibited of speaking because of this. Yeah, I mean, he... He said publicly what everybody has known privately. Like he didn't he didn't believe in this stuff and that's fine. Like there's a lot of older guys that didn't buy into some of these things. The younger guys tend to be more analytically inclined or scientifically driven when it comes to baseball. That's okay. I'm I'm not saying there's like some culture war that needs to exist between these two sides. I'm just telling you how it ended up working for Matt Carpenter. He said it he said it publicly. I saw somebody tweet this the other day, though, and I do think this, to your point, Alex, on Jeff Albert is an important thing to keep in mind. When the hitting goes cold, we always go straight for the hitting coach. Always. When the pitching has been cold the entire season in the starting pitching, 
nobody, no. nobody goes to Mike Maddox. No, they go directly to Jack Flaherty for some reason. And Mo. And Mo. And I am not telling you that you should blame Mike Maddox. You shouldn't. He's a good pitching coach. We know this to be true. It can be that guys just are playing to their talent level sometimes. I mean, Ollie Marmol basically said that over the weekend. We spoke to a hitting coach, Eduardo Perez, who said, yeah, the hitting coach doesn't have as much impact as people think. Yeah. Uh, They're more of a hype man for the hitters. And you can tell when I – so I watched Matt Carpenter play on Sunday Night Baseball last night. You can tell he just looks different by going and using those analytics. Because what did we talk about all last year? And honestly, for really the last three years he was here in St. Louis, his bat speed just seemed really slow. You could see it watching it. His bat speed looks quicker. Now, what he did, I don't know. But whatever the analytics told him, it was whether it be a lighter bat or his stance looked different, in my opinion, while watching him last night. You could tell he bought in. He got what the numbers were saying. I mean, it's no coincidence that Goldie switched to that – uh, hockey puck knob. He didn't just do that because, hey, it looks cool. No, the analytics were saying, hey, here's how you can improve. I think Goldie wanted to improve his ex So did Arnado. I think Arnado said that as well. And you're seeing it. Both those guys, I'm not saying it's the bat that's contributed to this, but Goldie's having an MVP caliber season. And you look at Arnado, he's getting his numbers back up to where they were in Colorado. And I think part of that is because the work they put in the offseason, which Matt Carpenter did as well. I don't think it's any like secret sauce that Jeff Albert's cooking up or any way that Jeff Albert's not talking to them so they're playing better. No, I- I'm with you guys. You can't blame the hitting coach because again we're not blaming the pitching coach for the struggles that the rotation is having from the 636 guys the older guys specifically thinking of Arenado and Goldie are doing fine not using analytics all the kids are <laughs> terrible using the analytics yeah I think that's actually why Goldschmidt's having an MVP season if I, I so badly wish we could go back and stop using the word analytics and just replace it with information because that's what it is it's just information Guys, Tony LaRusso was using analytics. Now, no, he, he was using information. He didn't call it that, <laughs> but he was using analytics. And he had it down on a sheet of paper instead of having it on his computer, but it was the same thing. Well, it's not analytics if it's not on a computer, though. You know what Paul Goldschmidt's doing? He's finding trends. He's finding out tells. All of these things are helped by having more information. And you know what a lot of that is? It's an analytics. Now, if you overdo it, just like with anything, if you overdo it with ice cream, you're going to get fat. Eventually, that's the way it works. That's I feel problem. personally attacked by that. <laughs> Why did you make out with this last with summer where he's eating a lot of ice what cream? What the he hell said, just happened? He said it was tough for him to get up the stairs at the studio. Well, yeah, it wasn't it was about true. with ice cream. It was about with coffee, BK. I wasn't I, drinking enough water, you jerk. <laughs> it, Unbelievable. If you overdo anything, it's going to end up going if in a bad you overdo way. it with soy... <laughs> Your then voice what? turns into this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then we'll welcome everyone back to PK and Ferrario <laughs> on 101 ESPN. All right, final thing here from the 314. Let's get a Blues question in here. Yeah, uh, thanks, Soy. Guys from the 314, <laughs> what kind of a contract do you think it would take to be able to re-sign Matthew Kachuk long-term? In St. Louis or in general? Yeah, in St. Louis. I think you're probably looking at eight years Somewhere between ten and eleven mil, nine and ten mil. Oh, sorry, I got ten and eleven mil. Nobody makes eleven mil. Actually, that's not true. I think somebody. I think. I think. I thought I saw Goudreau was asking for ten and a half. Well, he's asking north, according to Elliot Friedman, of nine and a half per year for eight years. Chuck's better than that guy, or he's a product of that guy. Well, then I don't want him then. Eh, I'll pass. Oh, geez. Yeah, I think you're probably looking at somewhere between in St. Louis. You're looking at no more than are no less than seven years in terms of length. And then I think you're probably going somewhere between nine and 10 mil. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to get up there at the top of the market. Um, Connor McDavid, that 12 and a half 
Panarin's at 11.5. So is Matthews, Carlson, Dreisaitl, Dowdy is right at 11. Like, there's a lot of guys that are making a ton of money in the NHL right now. I think that you're probably looking at around $10 million per year. So somewhere around there. Maybe you get to I think it's quote, St. Unquote, Louis hometown he gets less discount. than that. Maybe it ends up being nine and a half. And that's where like Mark Stone and Kucherov, those guys are at right now. Ovechkin is there as well. I think they sell it to like, hey, we want you to be a part of this, but we want this to be a Stanley Cup push and we don't want to break the bank. I think you could probably get him for nine mil, eight years. Yeah. Some something around there. It's gonna be a lot, but when you've got a one hundred point player who is what, twenty three years yep. old? Yeah, that's what you end up you end up paying for a guy like that. Coming up in about fifteen minutes. What do the Blues do if David Perron ends up pricing his way out of St. Louis? Where do they pivot? We'll talk about that coming up at 12.15. Katie Wu at 12.30. But coming up next, I have joined Alex Ferrario on one specific hype train. I'll tell you who that is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. interests me is the guy Noah Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John surgery his fastballs down four miles an hour and his strikeouts are down he still is having a good but not great year I think teams will be a little leery he because of the way the Angels set up because of Otani and him and some other things they use a six-man rotation so he hasn't pitched on normal rest yet this year so like if you acquire him what do you get but it's such an interesting lump of clay. He's so talented, and in a down market for starting pitchers, do, does somebody jump out and say to the Angels, "Here's," and, and he's a free agent at the end of the year? I wasn't all in on Noah Syndergaard earlier in the season. Alex Ferrario was, and that was Joel Sherman of MLB Network talking about who he believes to be one of the most interesting names as we get closer to the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We are, what is it, five four weeks away now from the uh, July 31st, right? No, it Sadly is not. No. August 2nd. We are That's now. That's easy to remember. Wow. It is only three weeks away oh, from the Major man. League Baseball deadline uh, as of tomorrow. The clock three is weeks away. For Mo. It, it is. And I think one of the more interesting names is indeed Noah Syndergaard, especially for the St. Louis Cardinals. And here's why, Alex. Noah Syndergaard has not had a great season. He hasn't. He's been okay this year for the Angels, but the Angels are terrible. The Angels they're no are good. Awful. They, just got they swept need to by sell. Baltimore. Tanner's probably going to tell you at some point in this segment that they're not going to sell. I don't I'll care what he has later. to say. I don't care what the Angels have to say. They need to sell because that team stinks. You just lost to the Orioles. Hey, they are being better this year than they were before. <laughs> it they doesn't matter. You they, guys, ain't, they ain't a mess. They're coming you just up. proved to everyone in the American League that you are worse than the Baltimore hey, Orioles. We got swept by Baltimore. No, we lost two of three. That's totally different. And when you look at the way that Noah Syndergaard has performed this year, uh, Baseball Savant is something really cool where they show you the most similar pitchers to Pitcher X. So imagine Noah's is Cy Young. For Noah Syndergaard, the three most similar pitchers are Adam Wainwright from this year, Kyle Gibson from this year, and John Lester from 2015. Those are pitchers that all obviously profiled as being Cardinals. The other thing about Noah Syndergaard is I saw something yesterday as I was kind of looking into him a little bit further, Alex. You got me. You piqued my interest. Mm. Something that the Cardinals could do that I think would actually make him into a better pitcher for the rest of this season. And this dovetails into a comment that I heard from John Mosaylock yesterday on the Cardinals radio network. 
what you're trying to identify are, are people that you think you can help get back to a more productive career or, or a more productive season. You know, last year when, when we made the moves we did, you know, we had identified relievers that we felt like were, you know, not being properly valued in the trade market. We went out and got Garcia and McFarland and, you know, those guys made a difference for us. And then, you know, from the starting pitcher side, we were looking at guys that had experience, wouldn't scare, would take the ball. And, you know, they did that. We approached this one. We're going to have a, probably a similar way of thinking about it. I think right now we just have to remain open-minded and be as active as we can with, with everything going on. Last year, one of the things that the Cardinals did is they would get these pitchers and they would say, hey, throw away this pitch. You're using it too much right now. Like Luis Garcia is the first one that immediately comes or comes to mind. He was throwing a bunch of four-seamers. The Cardinals said, hey, you throw 98, 99 miles per hour with your sinker. It's got crazy movement on it. Stop throwing a four-seam up in the zone. Start throwing a sinker down in the zone. You're going to get, A, a bunch of strikeouts, and B, a bunch of soft contact. This is the way that you can turn your career around. Guess what? It worked. He ended up becoming a trusted member of the bullpen, so much so that he was a guy that was getting legitimate opportunities as a setup man for the Cardinals at the end of last year. I think they could do something very similar with Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard's four-seamer this year has gotten absolutely crushed. They're batting 310 against it, opposing hitters are, with a 600 slugging percentage. That's what opposing hitters are doing against his four-seamer. Against his sinker, though, opposing hitters are batting 167 with a 200 slugging percentage. You look at the expected numbers, they're really similar. Expected batting average against his sinker, 250. Expected slugging percentage, 375. Expected batting average against his four-seamer, 285. Expected slugging percentage, above 600. Stop throwing the four seam. This is a very simple fix for him. And for whatever reason, the Angels have these numbers available to them. And they're not making it known to Syndergaard, or he's not listening, one of those two. And he's continuing to go with the four seamer that's getting absolutely demolished. If he switches to being mostly a sinker baller, he's going to be get, become a more effective pitcher. And guys, there is no place that that sinker would play better than right here in St. Louis. I'm actually on board with you, Alex. I think Noah Syndergaard might be the guy that ends up being the best fit here in St. Louis, given A, how he profiles, and B, what John Mosaloc looks for at the deadline. I didn't nerd out like that, but that makes a lot of sense. I just went because the guy's got a great set of uh, hair. Um, <laughs> what fit here? Which would fit here, absolutely. They him and call, Jeff Albert. They call him Thor, which, hey, you know me, I'm all for Marvel individuals and the Cardinals everyone that we have spoke to talking about the Cardinals say the team needs somebody who's got swing and miss stuff and that is Noah Syndergaard now I know peak Noah Syndergaard is probably never coming back but if that's the Noah Syndergaard you're getting show me a better player available to you that you realistically can acquire because I don't think there is one if San Francisco for some reason goes into like just tank mode and they start losing then I'm calling about Carlos Rodon yeah. But if he's not an option, I don't want to take a chance on Frankie Montas anymore because I'm worried that that injury carries over. I'm assuming Pablo Lopez is also. Unavailable. You got to think about the cost too, like yeah. in terms of co- uh, prospects. Yeah, you're giving a probably Mason win something like that for him because Montas has another year on yeah. his deal is going to be much higher than it would be for either Rodon or Noah Syndergaard, who the, are both free agents after this. And year. And all of the teams that are ahead of you are going to be competing for that name because he is the top of the food chain. But for me. I think Noah Syndergaard matches the team, and, and as Mo mentioned on that cut, 
you go get a guy who needs to reestablish his career. I guess he thought he was going to be able to do that with the Angels, and obviously that hasn't worked. So put him in front of a great defense and a good ballpark with that swing and miss stuff. He is the go-to guy for me come August 2nd. And I still view Noah Syndergaard as a guy that belongs in the front end of a rotation. Yeah, number two. Yeah, I, I think he becomes the number two slash number three for this Cardinals team if you go and get him. And like you guys were saying, I mean, he's not going to cost a lot because he's on the one-year deal. But the, And I, I think he makes a ton of sense. I mean, you mentioned it. The sinker's been his pitch. If the Cardinals can get him to just kind of move towards that pitch, it plays perfectly. I mean, you see Adam Wainwright goes with the sinker and curveball kind of combo, and you can see his success that he's had here in St. Louis. And when Hudson's right and Hudson's throwing strikes, you can see he has success as well. Even Polanta, he doesn't throw the sinker that much, but he gets a good ground ball, right? And you saw the success that he's had so far this year. So he makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals. But when I picture a kind of go acquire him, and you can go be kind of a reclamation project. Noah Syndergaard's not really the guy that I think of. And the reason I, I say this is because I actually view him as a top-end starter. But he's not been this year. He, he, he's, I mean, been a, he's got a four ERA or something approaching that, and if you look at the expected ERA, it's at a like way below that. But how much of that was like justified from the first couple of starts of the season for him because did he, he miss all of last year? He just hasn't been that good for them this year. I mean, he's been, he's been solid. He's been really solid. But I, but I his, thought like the last five or six starts for him have actually been really decent. Uh, they're 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 solid. Five innings, two earned runs. Seven innings, three earned runs. Seven innings, five earned runs. Four innings, one earned run. Like they're, yeah. he's been really solid so far for the Angels, but really nothing more than that. I I don't think teams around baseball right now, like I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think they view him as a number two. I think for most teams, especially the contenders, they probably view this version of Noah Syndergaard because he's not missing bats the way that he once did. As closer to a three or a four, he he makes it to the back end of your playoff rotation. That's probably where he would be for the Cardinals. I think he's he's behind Wayno in this rotation right now. I I would agree with that I think he is a three for you because Wayno and Michaelis have just been surreal this season. I think the problem with the Noah Syndergaard thing is I think I don't sure the Cardinals would take twenty one million dollars. And I get it; it's only a one year deal. Maybe you can get the Angels to eat some of that, but well, I think only that's ten now. Because it'd be the second half of the year. Suck it up, Buttercup. You need to win. But that's what I'm saying. That doesn't seem like a Mo move, in my opinion. It doesn't feel like a Mo move. Like it makes all the sense in the world. Just throw the sinker. You get him behind this defense. Makes all the sense. But the way he's talking about mentioning names of McFarland, Luis Garcia, uh, the Wade LeBlancs of last year that you brought in, Noah Syndergaard doesn't fit that profile. And and that's my. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is your career. Yeah, we need somebody that is viewed as a buy low candidate. And right now you're buying low on Noah Syndergaard. I don't think Noah Syndergaard's at the top of anybody's, like any of the contenders' lists. I think he's probably four or five on people's lists because at the top of that list is Frankie Montas, it's Tyler Molly, and it's uh, Luis Castillo from Cincinnati. Like those are the three I names agree. on everybody's list if they're searching for starting pitchers. Maybe Noah Syndergaard's that next one down, but that's why you got to pounce on this when you have the opportunity to. And Angels probably aren't going to make that move now because they still think they're in it, but in a week from now, now, that's when you pounce on something like this rather than wait until August 2nd because then everyone's going to go for it. So the other thing that ties into all of this is uh, you mentioned, Tanner, this isn't a Mo move. The other thing that's not a Mo move is to give up big-time prospects. Like This team is not trading Walker or Wynn at the deadline. It's just not happening. We can want them to. We can believe that maybe they should for X player. It's not going to happen. Well, Baseball America put out its updated midseason top 100 prospect list. And the Cardinals are very well represented on this list, guys. Uh, Jordan Walker is up to number eight nationally Oof. in the top 100 prospects list. Is that the and highest I think the Cardinals prospect has ever been. 
No, I think uh, Alex was Reyes, Reyes number was top one? five. I can't yeah, remember Reyes where he was, but he was top for five position for sure. player, though, that's impressive. Y- very much so. I think the last time that they had somebody this high as a position player, Might I would Tavares. have to imagine Tavares. was Tavares. Uh, number 36 on this list was Matthew Liberatore. Number 67, Mason Wynn. Number 75, Alec Burleson. Number 76 was Gordon Graceffo. Number 90, Yvonne Herrera. And number 95 is a name that we should keep an eye on. He's very low. A- I think he's low A ball right now, Palm Beach. Palms, yeah. um, but it's Tink Hintz, guy who throws crazy high velocity, and the Cardinals are very high on him. So you have seven players in the top 100 prospects right now. Guys, if I'm the Cardinals, the two guys that I'm looking at on this list that I say, okay, that might be our trade bait, Matthew Liberatore, I don't think the Cardinals agree with me on that one, but Alec Burleson, if he's considered to be a top 100 prospect by evaluators, and he's a top 100 prospect by MajorLeagueBaseball.com as well, I think he's at the very back end of their list, what are we doing here? Like He's either going to be a part of your outfield, he's going to be a designated hitter for you, or he should be traded. And I think Alec Burleson can help this team right now. But if he's not helping you now, when is he going to? Because right now you don't have outfielders available to you right now. We've got Corey Dickerson. I don't know what you're Tyler O'Neill's not on this roster right now. He's on the injured list. You don't have Harrison Bader, and we don't know how long it's going to be before he returns. Right now, at least, Brendan Donovan has not been at the field the last couple of days. You have guys that are filling in in that DH spot. I don't think there's a future here based on the way they talk about these players for both Juan Yepes and Alec Burleson and other teams I think are going to value Alec Burleson right now as a left-handed bat that hits for power and is hitting for average down in AAA. That's your trade chip. If you want to go out there and get a Noah Syndergaard, you want to go out there and get a maybe not frontline starter, but like that number three that we've been talking about. Alec Burleson's the chip that you're going to be looking at. Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes, and it just depends on what a team wants because if a team wants MLB experience, then Juan Yepes should be the number one guy you're looking at trading. And if team wants the outlook and control, well, then that's where you're going to Alec Burleson. But one of those two should be at the top of this trade conversation because you don't have space for all of these guys, especially if we believe Jordan Walker is going to be playing a corner outfield spot in the next year or so. You got too many guys and not enough food to feed to them. So you're going to have to move somebody at this point. And I, I think Burleson's the guy. And it's unfair to kind of say it because it's not like a race to the big leagues. But they clearly valued Yepes's bat a little bit more to call him up at the time that they did. And he's been at the big league club. Because right now I know that their argument with Burleson, I think it was when they called up uh, Capel when they had to, I think it was when McFarland went on the COVID IL and they opened up that 40-man spot. The argument was because, well, Burleson's not going to get everyday playing opportunities. I mean, I could find an everyday opportunity for him right now with Donovan back. I mean, Yepes is, I hate to say this, but he's not an outfielder. I mean, watching him out there. He caught the ball. I know, but it was worrisome watching it even yesterday in right field. He's just not, and there's not an issue with that. It's okay to have an everyday DH, especially now that there's a DH. It's not like in the past when the pitcher was batting, it was then it really didn't make any sense for guys like that to be on your club. But, Yepes is a DH. You can easily just slot him in that spot, and you can make the moves every now and then when you want to get Goldie the DH spot off his feet, Arnado off his feet as well. And you could be starting Alec Burleson right now in right field. You could have Donovan in left, uh, Carlson in center, and you could have Burleson in right field. But they clearly just don't value a spot for him right now because they're given the opportunity to Lars Nupar. So I don't think... And I'm not even necessarily saying they're wrong for that. But if you don't value him, like if they're right, if we all... If the evaluators are wrong and the Cardinals are right on him, then trade him. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't, don't you say, have value in this guy don't right Don't say one thing and not do the other. Like, you can't sit here and say that, well, we value his bat in our lineup, but not play him. 
It doesn't make any sense. Especially when you can go get something for that value right now. Because there's a team that looks at Juan Yepes or Alec Burleson and says, may we die to have that player. 100%, because they're valuable. Juan Yepes has been a very productive player for you in your big league lineup this year. There are other teams that will absolutely want that guy. And he's got six years of club control. Alec Burleson is apparently good enough to be a top 100 uh, prospect right now by both major services. And also, he's crushing the baseball down at AAA for you all season long. So you got to extract value. You are in the spot right now that you once were with your other outfield, where it was Stephen Piscotty, Randall Gritchick, uh, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. You ended up trading away Randy Arozarena. Like you had a you had a glut in the outfield at one point in time, and you had to decide who are we building around. And I think for the most part, they decided on the right guys. I know Tyler O'Neill; it hasn't gone as expected this season, but he was a borderline MVP candidate last year. You have a gold glover in center field. I think Dylan Carlson is making good on the promise that he had shown previously. You, but you made the right bets. Now it's time to make the bets again. Who are you betting on to be your outfield, not just for this year, but for two to three years from now? If you make that bet now, we got to live with that three years from now, but this is the time to do it. This is when you can extract that value, either by them performing for you at the big league level or getting you somebody else who can. Coming up in 15 minutes, Katie Wu will join the show. But next, what do the Blues do if David Perron ends up pricing his way out of St. Louis? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. hear about David Perron I still think they want to bring him back I think it comes down to can they clear room they've been really quiet Mm -hmm. really quiet with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN that was Elliot Friedman talking about David Perron on the 32 thoughts podcast Alex here's my question for you Let's say David Perron does end up getting a bunch of offers elsewhere that are for $6 million per year. Maybe it ends up being on a three-year deal. That seems to be, like, nationally, that's what people are projecting that's for. what Greg Wyshynski had. What do the Blues do then? What's the pivot? Are there guys that are clear, obvious pivots from him? Or do you just say, you know what, David Perron, we'll give you that money? Boy, uh, unfortunately, I don't really see guys on the market that value meets how that player would play for you. Like, I know you really love Andre Pallott, and and Pallott makes sense. But if you go to Andre Pallott, one, you're trying to implement a player into a new system, which works. I mean, look at what Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad did. But two, you're overpaying for that. You're probably going to have to pay him five years, five-something mil per year. That's a lot of money to lock up to a player that you're not sure about. The other pivot, if Matthew Kachuk is not realistic... The other pivot truly is, well, we're keeping Vladimir Tarasenko. Jordan Kairou's in the top six for us now. You're depending a lot on Jordan Kairou and Vladimir Tarasenko. Who's your though. third line, then? Jake Neighbors. And who else? Exhibit A, B, or C. Like I, That's the problem. Like You're, you're going to have to go into the free agent market if David Perron doesn't sign, but you're not going out there to get a top six forward. You're going out there to get a third or fourth line guy because Barbashev's going to be playing in your top nine Neighbors would be playing in your top nine. Saad, Buchnevich, Thomas, Shen, O'Reilly. Like, you've got the guys. It's just you're going to add you're gonna add complementary pieces rather than go out there and get a primary piece, if that makes sense. 
And I'm with you. I, Noob. I, I know. I did the mistake you did earlier. I, I think... I think if you don't get David Prom back, I do think it makes it more likely that they will keep uh, Vladimir Tarasenko then in the top six because I'm with you, Alex. I'm not sure they go in to the trade or trademark, excuse me, free agent market and go and look and find that person. Like Palat, he does make some sense, but I don't know if they'll give him that contract on that term. Maybe they do if Perron leaves, but I still think that it would lean towards. You hope that Jordan Cairo takes that next step, take kind of that Robert Thomas step that we saw in Thomas this year, and he moves into your top six. And I, I think then you're looking at kind of what you're talking about. You hit the free agent market, you look for kind of those third line bargain type deals and then hopefully with Vladdy being back you get another productive season from Vladimir Tarasenko I wouldn't expect him to take a step back because he wants out still I, I just think if if you don't get David Perron back I, I can't picture the Blues saying okay we're not gonna have Perron we're not gonna ha- we're gonna trade Vladdy and then it's really tough to replace that production especially if Kachuk's not on the trade market Alex what do you think Dylan Strom's gonna get if, if people missed it, the news yesterday was that the Chicago Blackhawks are not going to tender um, Dylan the Strom. qualifying offer to Dylan Strom. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent now. He's 24 years old. He's going to be 25 next season. He scored 22 goals last year uh, for the Blackhawks. He's been a consistent like 15 to 20 goal scorer so far in his career. He's a left-hander. He's typically a centerman. What do you think he ends up getting on the open market? Well, he's coming off a two-year deal that paid him three mil per year. I would say you're probably looking north of that for the success that he so had four with to Chicago. Five. Probably somewhere between four could and six mil. Could that be the mil. pivot? You get younger, you get a guy that could, like him or Braden Shin, one of them could be the center depending on what the situation is, and that but ends up being what your third line looks like. But you're left wing heavy then. That's uh, the only thing you've got. Sod. I don't know if he plays offhand, but I know like for Buchnevich, for Buchnevich example, he was it. more than happy to play on the right right side. I mean, it definitely can be a pivot. There's no question. But I just I don't know if he I don't know if he resembles what the Blues are looking for. I, I didn't watch a whole lot of Dylan Strom other than the games that the Blues played against Chicago. Let's say Chicago style. I don't know yeah. how much of a four checker is. He is a big body. I mean, he's six foot three, hundred ninety one pounds, so he can obviously play the way that you need him to. Just looking at the metrics, and again, I'm not a. I, I wasn't watching all kinds of. Blackhawks hockey either uh, he he rates out pretty well defensively better than I would have expected on a team that was horrible defensively this year yeah I, I mean he would definitely be a guy that you pivot to but I mean in all reality you can pivot to a lot of different directions it's just how do they th- this is always the thing with free agents you just don't know how they're going to mesh with your team you got to make sure that you're getting the right guy like Brandon Saad he just seemed to be the perfect blue for this team definitely but you also look at other options like when Kyle Clifford signed it just didn't mesh the way that the Blues were hoping that it would but I mean you could go onto the market and you could look into a Claude Giroux if Perron's not back because I don't think Giroux can get more than six million dollars you could go to the market and heck you could go to the trade market and go after a Jesse Puyarvi from Edmonton there's a right winger that is looking for a little bit more upside that you're hoping you get the best out of him the thing about it is you're not just pivoting from David Perron the goal scorer you're pivoting from David Perron the power play specialist you're pivoting from David Perron the identity guy on the ice that's always out there to stir up ish you're pivoting from a vocal piece in the locker room. You're pivoting from a guy who's always at the mic speaking for his team. You're pivoting from a lot more than just a 25-goal scorer on your roster. You can you can fill that void with neighbors and Cairo and Tarasenko and Saad and Buchnevich, but how much of a void can you fill in that locker room? That's the question I think Doug Armstrong has to weigh this offseason. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Katie Wu, a Cardinals insider for The Athletic. I want to ask her about what we were talking about a little bit ago. Where do the Cardinals turn? Is Noah Syndergaard a possible answer for their rotation? And maybe more importantly, 
is the rotation the biggest question facing the Cardinals right now as we approach the deadline? We'll talk to Katie Wu about it all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyler. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues are hosting their prospects camp this week. We're hoping to have some of those prospects on throughout the week. But right now, we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend of the Cardinals Insider for The Athletic. She's Katie Wu. You can follow her work on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. You can read her wrap-up on the week that was, uh, which was not a great week for the St. Louis Cardinals over at The Athletic right now. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing this morning? Afternoon. Afternoon. Sorry. It is afternoon, which is a shock to me, of course. I never seem to know what time it is. But yes, BK, it was not a great week for the Cardinals. Uh, In fact, it was actually very bad. I believe the first line, I'll just read it to you, the first line of the aforementioned weekly wrap-up went a little bit like the St. Louis Cardinals and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week of baseball. It was not not a good sight in Atlanta. Not a good sight at Bush Stadium. At some point, I felt like I needed to borrow Tanner's sunglasses, kind of just shield myself from what was going on. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we're feeling with this team and a way to spin it forward. New week, new team, right? Katie, before we do that, and and I promise you we're going to get into that, but we got to start it off with some positive vibes. So we need a Waffle House update. Oh, wow. Well, I I totally forgot that we teased this. (laughs) We did. You told us at the end of the interview to follow up with it, and I'm just doing my, my due diligence. That's some, that's some good reporting right there. I should take some notes. Waffle so House. So should BK. Um, <laughs> yeah, BK, come on. What are we doing here? Um, totally <laughs> kidding, okay. guys. Totally kidding. I'm feisty today. So, my <laughs> Waffle House takeaways. It's like a, a southern, a south version of Denny's, I guess. Great waffle, though. Fantastic <sighs> waffle. I, I see why it's called Waffle House. Checks um, out. And I like the, the ambiance. I really did. It just seemed like a no-judgment place. You come as you are, and nobody really cares. And so, that's my kind of vibe. So as a follow-up to that, Katie, and again, there's there's no judgment. It's just the four of us yeah, talking right now. Friends. It's you, me, Alex, and Tanner. Friends at a coffee shop, mm-hmm. Katie. W- roughly what time did you arrive to Waffle House? 2 a.m. No, I actually went at a respectable 1.30 p.m. Oh, oh yeah, you oh. got the A crown. Oh, no. That's what's up, oh, Katie. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like going to a buffet <laughs> Sunday night. All the food's taken over. Um, look, it was a weird schedule in Atlanta, a lot of night games. You're on the East Coast. Time zone's all messed up. I had to make do with what I did, and I thought it just, you know, kind of bought into the overall experience. So Waffle House, a solid 8.5 out of 10. We'll probably go back if I ever find myself back in Cobb County, Georgia. So uh, eight, it's an interesting number because that's roughly the number of runs that the Cardinals scored uh, in their last eight games, uh, Katie. Are you serious? Well, well a, they, they scored 11, but it's close a, enough. Uh, wasn't a great transition then. <laughs> what is going wrong with this offense? How, how is it this bad? I just don't understand. You know, it's a great question, and I think that you get the answer pretty clearly when the team's two most prolific leaders in Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado answer it the same way without being prompted. 
both sluggers pointed to a lack of ability to drive the ball recently. And when you look at where the Cardinals have been, dating back not just to Atlanta, but in Philly before that and a couple of games before that as well, really over the past couple of weeks, the Cardinals have not consistently driven the ball. You know, they're not an overly reliant on the home run ball. They can every now and then string together some success with small ball. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about how versatile this offense is. I still believe that. You know, I know they're missing a ton of key players right now. And I think that's what's led into the lack of ability to drive the ball. In this day and age of baseball, when you're facing consistently good pitching, the National League has some very, very talented arms. And I know fans get tired and tired of hearing, hey, we're facing a good pitcher. Well, yes, of course, good hitters overcome good pitchers. Good teams overcome good teams, right? But when you're looking at the Cardinals and who they have on their roster right now, you're just not seeing a lot of guys driving the ball. You're not seeing the double. You're not seeing the timely base hit. You saw that from Albert Pujols yesterday. So you certainly hope that's a a sign of turning it around. But when you're thinking about the runs that the Cardinals scored over the last week, from Tuesday to Sunday, they didn't have a single run scored via a base hit. All of their RBIs came on stack flies from that transition period from those five days. So obviously a clear sign Cardinals are not driving the ball, and uh, that's something that they certainly are hoping to change as they head into the All-Star break. Katie, does this feel like that maybe they've they've hit their end with some of these younger players? Like they've gotten the best out of the Juan Pezes and the Nolan Gormans and the Brendan Donovans, and now it's going to drop off a little bit? Or do you feel like that this offense is just dying for that impact bat back like a, a Tyler O'Neill? I think a little bit of both. I think that Without Tyler O'Neill, it's obvious there's a big miss in the power there. Cardinals have shown an ability to overcome one absence. I know we don't talk about Harrison Bader a lot offensively, but he's a, a speedy offensive tool when he gets on base. He wreaks havoc on the base pass. I think the Cardinals miss those two offensively. I mean, obviously they miss them defensively as well, two gold glove winners, of course. But I think the Cardinals are really missing the fluidity that Tyler and Harrison bring because they prototype as two totally different hitters and they gel the lineups together. When you look at Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes and even Tommy Edmond, I think what you saw earlier in the season is an example of their feelings, certainly. But what you're seeing right now is an example of fatigue. I mean, before going into the series in Philadelphia, Brendan Donovan had not had a day off that wasn't a scheduled team off day since mid-May. Tommy Edmond, Juan Yepes, since mid-June. Every time they have a scheduled off day, the Cardinals end up needing them in the later innings. So it's really a half day. That can only do so much. I think when you look at Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes, you're seeing the rookies kind of experience their first, their first full season in the major leagues, the fatigue that comes with it, and figuring out how to weather through that. And they ultimately aren't granted the luxury of having a couple of days because the Cardinals don't have anyone they feel like they can replace them with. So it's a bunch of growing pains. I'm not going to go over and, and overly play the strength of schedule. Every team has a brutal schedule in the first half as consequence of the lockout. But the Cardinals did have some grueling stretches, some grueling travel. Guys are tired. Tommy Edmond is tired. Brennan Donovan is tired. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato, they are tired. But there's nothing the Cardinals can do right now except grind it out through the last week and rest up over the All-Star break simply because there is nobody to fill the gaps. Katie, I thought you had a really good question to Ali Marmel over the weekend. We're talking to Katie Wu of The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. You asked him about the underperforming offense, and he he shot back, and I thought it was an interesting and kind of revealing answer, honestly, where he said, you tell me who's underperforming. Guys are giving their best shot, and they're playing to their capabilities. I read a lot into that. I thought it was an interesting answer. What did you make of his response to that question? As did I. I say revealing is the perfect description there. I think it's very telling of where the Cardinals are right now. When you Okay, let's break down this sentence. 
You tell me who's underperforming. Well, you can point to a, we can all point to a vast part of the roster that's underperforming compared to league average. I mean, we saw the offensive production, production from the catcher spot. We've seen what the reserve outfielders have done. Obviously, I don't think it's very fair to expect Lars Newbar or Connor Capel or anyone that you're calling up, whether that's eventually Burleson or Scotty Hurst or anyone along that nature, to put together the production numbers that O'Neill and Bader do. What Ollie was referring to, and this is the key part where, right here, guys have given it their best shot, are playing to their capabilities. What Ollie's saying there is no one is underperforming to their player capabilities right now. And that is the problem. Yes, there are significant players playing below, or a significant amount of players playing below league average. But if they're playing up to their capabilities, what exactly is there to do for the Cardinals except try to find better players with more experience? Right now, a vast majority of those players are on the injured list. So that, I think, was the most telling answer from the last week of baseball right there. Kind of like always saying, what do you expect them to do? This is who they are as players. This is their experience level. There's not much else we have out there that we can roll out. So then, Katie, what does that mean for a player like Alec Burleson? Because we had this conversation about uh, the, the, the the Cardinals prospect who's now in the top 100 for Baseball America with prospects. Like, are, are you surprised that we haven't seen this guy get the call yet to see what his capabilities are? Or does this push you more towards maybe he's going to be trade bait come trade deadline time? Yeah, absolutely. That's where I'm at. I'm not necessarily surprised that we haven't seen Alec Burleson because that is another 40-man spot. And let's look at it two ways, right? Let's look at the obvious. Okay, it's much harder to trade a prospect when he's on the 40-man roster. And Burleson profiles as someone as the Cardinal, for as alluring as he is, for as talented as he is, and exciting of a prospect he is, doesn't profile for a spot on the Cardinals' current roster and certainly is an intriguing piece if the Cardinals hope to be active at the trade deadline. Teams are going to call about Alec Burleson. But also, it's so easy to look at the players currently on the roster. You look at the reserve outfielders and say they're not performing next one up. It's not a sustainable practice to continue calling up on rookies and expect them to immediately perform at the big league level and put together the production that Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader does, right? Like, yes, Alec Burleson is mashing in AAA. It's unrealistic to expect him to come up just like with, and I know these guys have ultimately proved people wrong, and Donovan and Yepes to immediately make an impact. There's going to be a regression at some point. There's going to be a learning curve. Consistently relying on your rookies who lack the experience of plenty of veteran guys is not, in my opinion, sustainable. So I think there's kind of a two-part argument there. You certainly want to see Alec Burleson if you're a Cardinals fan. I certainly understand the thought process of why not? He's doing great in AAA. No one else is really hitting. But there is a very complicated next couple of weeks as the Cardinals and all of the other 29 front offices navigate and maneuver what their current roster looks like, who's tradable, how to maximize what they have right now. And right now it certainly seems like it was by adding Burleson to the 40-man, it would create more problems than solving. Final question that I've got for you, Katie. Is the starting rotation still the biggest need for this team? I think so. I don't think we should, for as concerning as the offense is, believe me, it was uh, a sight to see over the last week, to put it in a, a fair way, I guess. I still think the starting pitching is the biggest priority for the Cardinals and uh, President of Baseball Operations John Mazalek said as well. Here's a quote from his media availability on Friday. Clearly, when you look at our club, we understand, we know, we need to find some innings. As we approach the trade deadline, I think pitching will be at the forefront of our thinking. He also had a key sentence later. The health of this club is going to drive a lot of how we think about that trading deadline. So I think the Cardinals will be patient 
and Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader. I don't think either come back before the All-Star break, so we'll certainly have more clarity about O'Neill today. He has a doctor's appointment to check out that wrist contusion he sustained after being hit by a pitch in Memphis. Bader, we talked to yesterday. Doesn't look like he'll be back before the All-Star break. For him, it's much of a rest and recovery to build sustainability, so this, this health issue doesn't arise throughout the season. So I do think the offense will take care of itself. You'll get some key healthy players back. They'll have Edmund get some rest over the all-star break. You'll have Donovan get some rest over the all-star break. Pitching is still the biggest question. There's such a significant drop-off between Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright, who have been stellar. You don't know what you're getting with Steven Matz, so I certainly understand the Cardinals' need or preference to see what they have over the next couple of starts. He is expected to make one start before the all-star break, assuming he comes out of Tuesday's rehab start all fine. And uh, seeing what they can get from Dakota Hudson for a couple more times. For Hudson, we've seen flashes. It's about consistency. But that's a lot of variables. And we're not even talking about when Jack Flaherty is coming back because that won't be until after the deadline as well. There are too many variables in that rotation to focus, to, to cast it to the side and think that they'll be able to patch it later. If the Cardinals are going to do anything at the trade deadline, I certainly expect it to be rotation aiding. One follow-up on that, and this can be a quick answer for you, Katie. Do you think Noah Syndergaard fits what the Cardinals are looking for? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, I don't. I, I understand the allure of the name. I also understand the kind of season he's having. Is Let's look at the kind of trades the Cardinals have made at the deadline before. Noah Syndergaard, regardless of stats, is still a blockbuster name. I don't see the Cardinals willing to deplete their farm system for whatever he's going to cost, which at this point is going to be super high because it's just a seller's market this year. So, no, I see more of the Cardinals targeting more of a Paul Blackburn kind of guy, all-star for the A's, kind of under the radar, quietly having a good season. But um, as we saw last trade deadline, certainly no idea what to ultimately expect come August 2nd. Yeah, so you're My boy Pauly! She's basically saying you can hope for this, but it's going to be like a John Lester, so Jose Quintana is going to be the guy. Can they please get some swing and miss stuff for Ollie? Uh, Ollie, Ollie would love to have somebody in his rotation that actually misses bats. Hey, when Adam Wainwright is your pitcher generating the most swing and miss in your whole entire rotation, I understand the ground ball philosophy, but some strikeouts would be nice. It would be helpful. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy yourself out of the ballpark today. You're almost to the All-Star break. Almost. We know the players need it, but so do you. Katie, we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Enjoy Prospect Camp. Talk to you later. You got it. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Paul Bleepin Blackburn. I don't believe her. Noah Syndergaard's still my guy. I don't (laughs) believe her. Listen, man, I agree that Paul Blackburn makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. He certainly profiles to be a very Cardinals-y type of pitcher. He strikes out less than 20% of the batters that he faces in his career. It's actually at 15%. He doesn't walk anybody. They don't hit the ball very hard. He keeps it on the ground more often than not. He is... Jeez, it sounds like a Cardinals pitcher. <laughs> he is very Dakota Hudson, Andre Pallante e like He's in that same... You don't vein. like any of those guys. How do you want him? That's a fair question. He's still got three years of club control, so that doesn't even feel like the Cardinals trade deadline move. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. You think that you're going to have to give like up for a Paul Blackburn's move. aiming too high? Yeah, you think yeah. you're going to have to me? give up a lot for Noah Syndergaard for one year? What do you think who's, you're going to have to give up for a dude who's got three years? Who's the number five in Oakland's rotation? That's probably the guy. Who's the guy that's injured in Oakland that needs a new change of scenery? Oh, that might Montes. be the guy. That's Montas. No, it was Sean Manaya, but... We all knew how that went. Why didn't they just trade for Sean Manaya? You know, somebody smart on the show said that. You could have traded Alec Burleson for Sean Manaya. Somebody smart on the show said that. Yeah, why? Why would you want to give up a top one hundred prospect, BK? Why do you just want to trade away these prospects? These prospects are going to be good pieces for the Cardinals. The junk drawer is next.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live <laughs> from the ENB Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues are hosting Prospects Camp this week. Alex and Tanner will be out here all week long, hoping to get some of the Blues prospects on the air for you guys, so we can get to know some of them. Tanner told us earlier today, a little uh, preview into tr- uh, Prospect Camp, so you get out of here and check them out. Tanner said that Snoogarud, he was gliding. Oh, he was gliding. Looking that, good. That was the inside information from T-Bone. Well, I'm glad you guys are going to be like here all week to bring minutes. that kind of insight I, to the good people. I can't wait to talk to Jake Neighbors later this week when hey, you're I'm not gonna, here. I'm going to be at the uh, scrimmage after the show today, so we'll see, uh, yeah, I'll, see I'm, what I'm they look like. I'm going to yeah, stick I'm around stick tomorrow. Around I got a vet appointment for my dog today at 3, so I'm going to be here tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday. Alex would make you scrimmage. believe he's the busiest man on earth yeah, with his schedule. <laughs> guys, my baby my baby is now at the stage where she likes to climb on tables and thinks she can like trust fall off and somebody's going to catch her. I went through that phase. I'm not going to catch her. She's going to learn. I'm not giving parenting advice because I get in trouble anytime that I give parenting advice on this show. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer? Well, I'm sure you guys saw this on social media yesterday because it was going ablaze. I'm not and on the memes media. are still going. Oh, okay. It's too busy. <laughs> the memes are still going around about it. But uh, Zach was trust falling. Zach Wilson. Are Zach you giving Wilson. me dad advice right now? Is that what you're doing? Sorry. Zach Wilson's uh, ex-girlfriend. Somebody should give him mom advice. Yeah. No, he's got he's got that mom advice down well. <laughs> well, then everybody just knows the story. Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend was being attacked on social media because she's now dating one of his, I think his former best friend. Yeah, and yeah they were roommate, BFFs. I believe. Because uh, they were teammates. They were BFFs. That's what I meant to say. Teammates, and he's put his, his friends at wide receiver for the Washington Commander. <laughs> <laughs> and after she was getting attacked on social media, she just dropped a little nugget that apparently Zach Wilson cheated on her with, uh, I guess, a mom, uh, his well, best we friend's gotta, mom. We got to get the, the first part, part why, of this why out. Why was she being attacked on social media? So it wasn't really attacked. She posted a picture of her and her new boyfriend, who is Zach's former BFF, as you like to say, or BFFs. <laughs> and Al, uh, somebody, uh, post- <laughs> somebody posted on Instagram. Uh, that she's a homie hopper. Is that what the term is? Apparently. And she said, Zach Wilson is the homie hopper. He's the one that was sleeping with his mom's best friend. That's not a homie hopper. That's a mom hopper. I don't know what you want to label it as. Zach Wilson was very upset. Uh, he ended up, so there was a guy from Barstool Sports that did a video kind of doing the investigative work on all of this. He posted it on TikTok. He then posted that TikTok video to Twitter. Zach Wilson DM'd him saying, hey, can you please delete that? I don't need this getting out there. And the guy was like, all right, yeah, I'll delete it. He deleted it from Twitter, but he left it up on TikTok. It went crazy. Everybody saw this on Twitter. What did the DM say? It said that. It said, like, hey, can you delete that for me? Oh, I thought you meant it was the DM to the mom or something like that. No, 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 no. So we don't know for sure if he actually slept with his mom's friend or not. I got an idea. I think he did. I just, I'm more impressed by the homie hopper term. Did you have any homie hopper buddies? Mm, Not that I'm familiar with. I had one. Did you? Are you guys still buddies? No. Are you kidding me? You still homies? No, we're not homie. There's Once no you hopping. homie hop, there ain't coming back to the homie train. Once you homie hop, 
I don't know any good ones. I've heard of Eskimo Brothers, but this was my first Whoa, familiarity with... Whoa, what's Eskimo with... Brothers? Oh, we'll with the same... The with the, oh, that we'll makes sense. We'll talk off the air. But I've never heard of homie hopping. That's a new one for me. Did um, you ever find any of your friend's mom's hot? I mean, sure. Our question for on air. What? what do you mean? Yeah, no, of course. Like, yeah, but I would never think about this. <laughs> like, this, yeah. this is a bridge too far. Really? <laughs> what? I mean, yeah. Are you asking like my friends, their mothers? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You never found any of your friends' mothers attractive? Mm -mm. Okay. Not a, not not saying. All of my friends' mothers are beautiful now, women. I never thought of them in that light. I would also That's say, what he's saying. Ha have I ever considered, like... No, I asked if, if he thought any of his friends' moms were hot. I never thought my friends' moms were hot. I just thought they were all beautiful women. They were never oh, sure. hot he respects them. Of course. Of course. Well, of course. I always respect my elders. What I was surprised by sure. was... Like, it's one thing to say your friend's mom is attractive. It's another thing entirely to say your mother's friend is attractive. I feel like those are two... Like... Maybe there's something cognitively for me it's that is off on that. It's the same thing, though, that. isn't it? I don't know. It it, it messes. The, see, the mom's friend would be more likely to be attractive than the friend's mom, if that makes sense. I don't know, man. It, I for, think it's weird just both the ways. The, your mother having the relationship with this individual. Like, my mom might not have even known some of my friend's parents. But my mom is very familiar with this individual, apparently, that Zach Wilson was having well, intimate. Maybe this isn't on Zach. Maybe she came to Zach and was like, hey. You and me, right? Maybe. Maybe this isn't Zach going to her. Maybe it's the other way around. Zach looks like that guy that went to her, though. Come well, on. Zach also <laughs> looks like a dude that's like 10. Zach was apparently in another relationship with an older woman. Is this dude homie this hopping like too. crazy? I, it's he it's possible. He, he also apparently has a new girlfriend. I think she's an Instagram model from what I understand. Well, so Maybe he uh, needs to start learning how to sling some footballs in New York for the Jets. He's been... <laughs> Can't even say it. Coming up in 15 minutes, I think that might get dumped. We'll dive into <laughs> Don't a game do it, of in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service. Great transition. But next, has the last 10 days changed the Cardinals' approach to the trade deadline? I don't think so. I want to hear from you guys though on the air comfort service text line at six five seven eight zero. We'll get into that next year on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one. ESPN. We should be getting McFarland and Verhagen back at some point this week. So, you know, we're going to have some tricky roster decisions to make. I don't think there's just like one magic bullet to insert into your offense. I mean, we got to get Bader back. We got to get O'Neill back. And, you know, as we look at the trading deadline, maybe we do look at some offense from the catching standpoint. So, you know, there's things we're going to be on the lookout for. So I think simply put, it's, you know, probably more innings um, would be something we would value and, and getting some offense out of the catcher would be important as we as we start to look ahead. That was John Mosellock on the Cardinals radio network yesterday talking about what the Cardinals plans are as they head into the trade deadline alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. I still believe it's starting pitching. I really do. When you look at the way that the rotation is set up right now, I think you're okay with the top three that you will have when Steven Matz returns. Wayno, Mike List, Matz, that's a pretty solid one, two, three. I think Matz fits in better as a number four, so you'd like to uh, upgrade that number three spot in your rotation, but I think those guys can be a part of a playoff rotation and you feel good about it. The problem is you also have Dakota Hudson and Andre Pallante in that rotation as well. And listen, I like both of those guys okay for the regular season. 
I don't feel great about them starting in the playoffs. But you don't have five starting pitchers in the playoffs. I know, but I don't want either of them starting in a playoff But I series. think in a playoffs, the goal is to acquire somebody so that both of those guys are in your bullpen. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I still view starting pitching as the biggest need for the Cardinals because I can't count on Jack Flaherty returning this year. They said over the weekend that Jack's uh, return timetable is sometime after the trade deadline, which means... At a minimum, it's mid-August by the time that we're looking at Jack Flaherty returning. And that's in a best-case scenario. I'm not counting on that. I'm assuming he's not playing for the Cardinals this year. And if he does, great, that's found money. But right now, the way that I'm approaching the deadline is the same way that I was prior to this eight-game stretch where the offense has gone incredibly cold. And that's by looking for a legit number two or three starting pitcher that can start in a playoff series for this Cardinals team. I think that's the only option at the trade deadline right now. Like, I, I don't... As much as the injuries have hurt this team and you need that other impact bat, I don't think it's feasible to go out at the trade deadline and acquire a Tyler O'Neill replacement. I think that's going to cost you just as much, if not more, than a replacement in your rotation. I think there's only one, by the way. I think it's just Andrew Benintendi, most likely. And we've already heard that available. the Yankees are checking in on him, and you aren't outbidding the Yankees 100%. on Andrew Benintendi. So then the other one is the catcher. And in all reality, I don't. I don't. You put the list out on Twitter Dude. a couple of days ago. There's nobody out there worth going after. Plus, the hope, and from what Adam Wainwright has said, what Ali Marmol has said, like you imagine Yachty's going to be back at some point. So why go out there and acquire a bat for your catcher? You just need your catching positions to step up better than what they've been. So the only real option is going out there for a starting pitcher because even – what T-Bone, you've mentioned in the past, I don't think it makes this team any better if you go out there and acquire a really good bullpen piece. Yeah, I, I don't think the bullpen piece, it would be nice to go get a like strikeout arm in that bullpen, but I don't think it, like that's not on the need. That's more of like the want list right now. I, and I'm not even sure, honestly, at this point that it's a want. I still think they could use another swing and miss arm out of the bullpen, but again, it's such a it's so far down on my list of what do I need at the deadline? Like It might be last at this point. Um, I, I, starting pitching is clearly the need, and it is a guy that is going to be a top-end guy that's a one one through three type of starting pitcher because I'm with BK. I want Mats to be essentially my four that gets like one or two starts in the postseason, depending on how things go. And I want to move Hudson and Palante back to the bullpen if possible. So I think it clearly is the, they need to go get that top end caliber guy. And I'm just not sure if the Cardinals would be willing to make make the sacrifice that it takes to get that guy. I'm not sure who they part with on their prospect list because Everybody that's in that top 100 prospect list, except for Burleson, I think that they would tell you he's untouchable, and that includes a Matthew Libertor. I think there are guys that uh, I'm not sure they're on that list that are uh, untouchable, like uh, Graceffo down in Springfield. I, I think they would view him as a untouchable arm that they don't want to part with. So there are a handful of guys that they don't want to part with, and I don't think they're going to be willing to make the trade that it, it's going to cost to go and get that starting pitcher. And that's why I almost feel like the way the team has played of late, and again, this should change by hopefully change by the end of the All Star break and as we start the second half. But if they continue to scuffle, at best case scenario, all I can see Mo doing is adding just a depth piece because if they're going to continue to scuffle, and we know how tough it's going to be to not alone just win the division against the Brewers, but we've seen how they've played against these 500 above teams in the Phillies, the Braves. We'll see what they look like against the Dodgers this week. Then if I'm Mo, I can't part with some of these top end prospects to go get a piece because. As much as I think this team is good enough to where if you add a top-end starter, they become a World Series team to keep an eye on, if they're going to continue to scuffle, I'm just not sure Mo can make make it feasible to himself in the front office to make that move and part with prospects if that's the case. So that's what I wanted to ask about next is, okay, so how does the next week or so play into the Cardinals' plans at the deadline? Because... 
I mean, you've got one more against the Phillies, and you could potentially split this series. And as bad as everything feels right now, a split in this series would feel pretty good, all things considered. Then you've got three against L.A., and the pitching that you're going to see in that series is going to be pretty tough. And then you've got three more to finish out the first half of the season against uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Right now, you're sitting at 46 and 42. You're four games above 500. You're two games, two and a half games back right now of the Brewers in the NL Central. You're also a game back of the Phillies right now in the wild card race. Right behind you, by the way, is the Giants a game back. Behind them, two games back, so three games back of the Cardinals, is the Marlins. There is a little bit of a race that's taking place inside of the National League, both for the Central Division, of course, we knew that, but also for the wild card. The NL East has picked up the pace to a degree where the Phillies and the Braves and the Mets and the Marlins all probably will view themselves as contenders for the playoffs as we approach the trade deadline, and that's going to make things really interesting for the Cardinals. If they don't perform well, over this seven-game stretch, let's say they go like two and five, and they end up going into the uh, the second half of the season one game above 500. As much as I believe this to be a good team, and I think that when they are healthy, they can compete with anybody else you throw at them, there's going to be real questions inside of that front office as to whether or not it is even worth it to go out there, forget Paul Blackburn, but acquire anybody of no. I get it. But you know how bad that is going to look for Cardinals fans if Miami, Miami sits here at the deadline and says, you know what? We got a shot at this. We're going to go upgrade. We're going to go add to what we have. And the Cardinals sit there with four guys who are all-stars, two should be all-stars. You've got one guy leading in war, another who is an MVP, another one could be an MVP, and then you got somebody who's going to be in the Cy Young conversation. And the Miami Marlins say, eh, we, we feel like we can make a push with this thing in the NL East and the Cardinals don't do anything and say, oh, we just didn't feel like it was enough to make a run for it, I don't think that's going to sit well with Cardinals fans. I, I agree with you. I don't think it'll sit well. And honestly, even if they continue to kind of go through this struggle, I, I mean, honestly, when they come out after this Dodger series, they should take care of business home against the Reds at the Reds. Now, there's a two-game set against Toronto, which would be difficult, but then they got three at Washington. So they should be able to pick up games in terms of easy wins. Or that's where we talk about where you and have to take care of, of business. First, and that's, that's, that's the, the end, end of the first the, half. Head to the before deadline. the deadline, yeah. Uh, so, in all honesty, yeah, they should probably add. And I think they will add no matter what occurs. I think it's just a matter of like how significant of an add is it. Because I think if you continue to struggle, I do think they'll add a starter. And I think it'll be kind of what we looked at last year. I mean, last year they were struggling at the point of the deadline. And what they do... Well, what's the point of adding that guy? Like, yeah. last to year, year, to eat anything. those innings and hopefully provide a... But they're get not somebody better. out of the but rotation. But do anything. They're, they're not better than what you have currently yeah. with Palante or... Jay, or uh, Dakota Hudson. Yeah, if you're I, do think, that, I think just they'll view it. I think they'll view it as making an upgrade at the rotation spot. I think it'd be getting Palante into the bullpen or getting Hudson out of the but rotation. But if you're going to do that, just keep Matthew Libertor up here. Like you're going to go acquire a guy who can eat innings for you. But Libertor is going to be done when Mats is up. So when Mats returns, your rotation is Mats behind Michaelis and Wayno, and then you've got Palante and Hudson at the back end. Those two guys are better than what you got last year out of Jay Happ and John Lester. Like as much as I've got questions about Dakota Hudson. Those two have provided already so far this year more in your rotation than either Hap or Lester did down the stretch last year. You can't go out and add one of those two guys and sell it to me as if that's making your team better. You might even be making your team worse by making an addition like that. I just can't see them because I can't see them not making any sort of move. And I definitely can't see them 
just selling off. Like, Mo's going to do something. And I think it just depends on what they do coming out of the All-Star break and how they look. If they start playing better baseball, then, yeah, I think he will seriously be in a conversation for kind of that reclamation project number three starter that they'll look for. But if they continue to struggle, I think it is just going to be as simple as maybe they do the smaller reclamation project, add to the pitching depth that they have. I I can see them doing that. I just can't see them not doing anything. That's not a Cardinals move. If they end that trade deadline and only add, and I'm just throwing this name out there because I don't think it's likely since he's in the division, but if you only go out there and add a Jose Quintana or if you only add a Zach Davies, I think the players are going to feel disrespected with that. I, I, I don't know if they would because they're not playing very well right now. I like Right now, you look at this team, and I don't, I don't think the Cardinals, look, they'll say in the clubhouse that we are a contending team. We're just probably unhealthy. But these players or are going to be fine if the Miami Marlins go out there and upgrade with what they've got? Well, I mean, Miami's been in this buy-now mode since the beginning of the season. What they did in the offseason showed that they're going to be in no matter what occurred. And in, and they're in the race, and in their mind, they're hoping to be building around what they have and try and get people back into the, the Miami ballpark. I think for the Cardinals, I think if you continue to struggle, I, I can't see the – look, the, would the locker room be disappointed if they don't add – yeah, but I think they would look at it and say, you know what, we didn't do enough to prove to the front office that they should go add to this team. And I think that's how the locker room would view it. I think there might be some truth to that. I also think it's a disservice to Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt I to agree. not upgrade this roster. I think it's a wasted year from, and Miles by Michaelis. the front office of not do, taking advantage of Michaelis, Goldie, who's in favor to be the MVP right now, and Arenado, who's gotten his numbers back up. And honestly, wasting some of the best that you – I mean, you've arguably got – three of the best rookies in the National League. I mean, I, I don't think any Palante, Donovan, or Gorman are going to win Rookie of the Year, but they're certainly going to be in the conversation about it, the way they've performed. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine them not making a move. I And, like, this kind of brings us back to the conversation that we had at the Blue, with the Blues at the trade deadline, Alex, where it was, okay, you have to upgrade from what you have. You can't just add a defenseman, and that's kind of the conversation right now with the Blues, right? It, this offseason is, okay, Look at the market. There's not a whole lot of defensemen that you really love. And not only that you love, but also that you're willing to give term to. Well, The Cardinals aren't having to give term to these guys because it's just a trade and most of the players that we're talking about are at most one year left of control. But you've got to upgrade from Palante or Hudson in your rotation. You have to upgrade from what you currently have available for you when they're healthy in your outfield. You have to upgrade from what you have available to you in your bullpen that doesn't mean going out there and acquiring a TJ McFarland of this year or acquiring a Jay Happ. Those guys are not upgrades. This team is in a better situation right now than it was a year ago. I know it doesn't feel like that right now because of the way that the offense has been performing, but when you get Tyler O'Neill back, if it's soon, when you get Harrison Bader back, when you're able to play with something close to resembling your full lineup, this is a better team in terms of the talent than what it was last year. And it's harder to upgrade from that talent than it was last year. And that means you have to make a bigger move. Yeah, That means you have to be willing to sacrifice in one of those probably top 100 prospects. And we talked about it earlier, the guy that makes the most sense. Either you call him up or you trade him is Alec Burleson. Yeah, and I, I, I understand they're two different scenarios, but the way I view this, and you look at what the Blues did in the offseason with Nick Letty. We didn't like it at the time, but it was a... It was a it was a bigger move than what we gave it credit for, for what Doug Armstrong did, because he came in and was an asset to the team, although it didn't look good. But that is nowhere near comping to a McFarland-Garcia-John Lester trade. 
Nick, Nick Letty is kind of the Noah, Noah Sendergaard. It's kind of the he Noah used to Sendergaard. have a high-level profile name, but and he what, was on a pretty significant deal. But what Cardinals fans are looking for, when you have a team this good, they're looking for a Doug Armstrong-style Ryan Miller trade. You're looking for that big move to add to your team. And I understand that the team has not performed well and in this span, but in Ali Marmol's comment that we played earlier – the offense was much better last month. They're going through a dry spell. Just because a team is going through a dry spot when the offense has been really good all season long, the pitching has let them down more times than the offense has let them down. And if you're going to just go off of a month or two-week span and say, uh, we don't feel like this is good enough for us to go make the moves to get rid of a prospect who might not even play for us, but get rid of a prospect for a guy who could significantly upgrade us, I just think that looks poorly to a team and from the fan base with it. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we mentioned the fact that the Cardinals have four All-Stars on their roster. Should there have been more? We'll talk about that coming up at 1.30. In or out, 65780 is the air covered service text line coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's the BK vacation that. version. I'm going to miss that when I'm out on vacation. No, I'll sing it for you. You want me to sing it? I'll send you a little video of Please it. Please do. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. From the 314, in or out, the Cardinals will end up trading for Mike Trout or Shohei Otani within the next two years. <laughs> out. Oh. All right, next question. <laughs> move on. Did you see what John Mozeliak told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch the other day? Somebody's trading Albert in his prime. So this is Mo <laughs> to Benjamin Hockman. I think any time you try to create a summary statement for how you approach the trade deadline, it can be disingenuous. For example, I always used to joke about this when I first became the general manager. If somebody wanted to trade for Albert back then, would you trade him? Like 99% of the time, the answer is no, of course not. But... What if somebody said to you that you could somehow acquire Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw? Maybe at that point you would. I think it's impossible to say how one th- how one is going to approach a deal. Now, do we understand that there's urgency because of all the things that you've mentioned? Of course. Those are very unique variables, ones that don't come across very often. So basically we're getting Mike Trout. All right, I'm changing my mind. In! Mike I, Trout's a cardinal. I do wonder. I, I think the answer is just... I tend to agree with you guys. No. I do wonder, if Mike Trout became available, do you think that the Cardinals would at least explore what it would cost to acquire How much is he making? $35 million for, like, the next seven years. Yeah, I'm out. I think I'm out, too. I'm not sure that the Cardinals would explore I mean, he's a perfect Cardinal. He really is. He's the Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals. Like, like he is the guy that makes the most sense. He's low-key. He he is Paul Goldschmidt. He's an icon. Yeah. I mean, I think they would call, but I, I think it would be too much for the Cardinals to give up in prospects for Mike Trout. And, and I think we had this conversation in the offseason. Would you be willing to have three guys on contract? Now, Goldie does come up off the books, I believe, after next year, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, I'll probably so resign maybe, him, though. Maybe, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, right now, yeah. Um, but, like, maybe they would explore it if they said, you know what, if we're not going to bring back Goldie, now I don't know what you'd do at first then. But- and if Harrison Bader's not going to be himself. Then maybe you talk about bringing. I, I think it comes down more to of how many thirty million dollar contracts do we have on the books? Well, they because got, we've talked about that before. Just one. 
Or sorry. After next year, it would just be one. I know, but that's what I'm saying is I think that best they would only do two. I don't think they'd ever touch three. And I think that was the conversation this offseason. Well, you so don't have to. If they said, okay, if they decided we won't bring back Goldie, we'll explore bringing back Mike Trout or bringing in Mike Trout. I'd rather then, get but, Shohei. But even then, I don't I don't think they would do it. I, I can't see. That's not really a yeah, Cardinals It's totally move. not a Cardinal. Look, the guy, he's looking for a, a uh, change of scenery, re- reestablish his career acquisition at the trade deadline. That's not Mike Trout. Somebody on the text line said he's had too many injuries. He has a bunch of money that's guaranteed to him. It's too many prospects. That's not a Cardinals move. I I tend to agree, but Mike Trout is the kind of unique player that if he were to become available, I think the Cardinals would at least have to. That's a that's a meeting that you have to have with Michael Gersh and John Mosaylock. Like those guys got to get into a room and say, okay, is this something that we would be interested in? And I, I would have to imagine they've probably at least talked about and it. And when Albert Pujols is their new hitting coach, then they'll probably say, like, well, we got to get him because Pujols. 65780 is the air comfort service text line see for what I did in there? or out. Back to the Jeff Albert topic. In or out, Dylan Carlson ends up playing more games in center field than Harrison Bader the rest of the year. I'd say I'm in on this because I, I would imagine, like, if Bader, if Bader comes back, they're not – it's hard for me to imagine they would want him back if he's not close to 100% as he can be and they know he can play center field. But I also wonder that if he does come back, they want to take it easy the rest of the season and they say, we'll put you in right because Dylan Carlson can handle center. Yeah, I think they'll be very cautious with him when he does come back. I agree with you there because I think you'd want him to be as close to 100% when you get to, assuming you're going to be a postseason-bound team, close to 100% when you get to the postseason, then you can have that gold glove defense. I think I'm going to say I'm in on this. It's just because I don't know, really know what the time frame is for Harris Bader, and I think they're going to be very cautious with him because we've seen, we've talked about it. You know, that plantar fasciitis is just very tough for guys to come back from. I mean, it kind of derailed Albert Poole's career in L.A. I'm not saying that Bader's career is going to be derailed. from. Maybe he has a full recovery from this and he's fine, but it's tough to see, and it's tough to figure out until you get more updates from the Cardinals. So right now, I think I'm going to say I'm in on this. I think I'm in as well. Did we just go in on – oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought we were still doing the Mike Trout conversation. No, I, I think I think Dylan Carlson ends up seeing more time than Harrison Bader just because this injury is so unpredictable. I mean, I've never had specifically this, but we've talked to guys that have, and we've heard from Harrison Bader himself where he says, hey, some days I feel fine. Yeah, look at Albert Pujols' and career. And the next day you're like, I, I literally have trouble getting out of bed. It's just super unpredictable, and they're not going to push this because they want him to be able to contribute down the stretch. That's when they really need Harrison Bader, especially with his outfield defense. And his game is – this is almost worse for him than it was for Albert because of how much his game is is reliant upon his speed. And this takes some of that away from him. So this sucks, man. This is a really tough injury for him to have to deal with. 65780 is the Air, Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals should be looking for somebody that profiles as a leadoff hitter now that Tommy Edmond has reverted back to the hitter that he was last year. Out. I think Tommy Edmond's going to be fine. I think it was exhaustion more than anything. I mean, the guy has been, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's played, started the most games at a, at a position this season for the Cardinals, like right up there with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Like those three have played the most 
this season. I, I just think Tommy Edmond has hit that wall in a season that you hit before an all-star break. He's it, played in 86 of the Cardinals' 88 games yeah. so far this year. And I don't know how many of those have been DH. I don't think any of them have yeah, been in DH. He's not gotten the start of DH. So I, I just think he's everyone goes through this in pro sports, specifically in baseball, for how much of a grind of a season it is. You hit a wall before an all-star break. I think Tommy Edmond regains that form once he exits all-star break and, and gets a little rest. It might be good for him not going to an all-star game. Started 81 games so far. Damn. Yeah. Is that the most on the team? I would have to imagine, yeah. Yeah, I I think you're fine at leadoff. I, I think Edmund will kind of turn things around. We, we've seen his on-base kind of come up this year, but I'm not saying he's going to be where he was at the beginning of the year. I, I, and if he struggles with the leadoff, I think you've got plenty of guys that you can throw into that spot. You know, I think we've seen Donovan up there. They even got creative over the weekend. I think it was Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. They had Nolan Gorman up there at the top of the lineup. So, like, I think they're fine with the leadoff spot, and I know people don't want to hear it, but honestly, worst-case scenario, you could throw Paul Goldschmidt into the leadoff oh, spot. Oh, there he, he gets is. On base. So, I, I don't think there's an issue with the leadoff spot. I, I think Edmund will be fine. And honestly, even though he doesn't, I think we had this conversation in the offseason, even though his on-base percentage isn't high, when he gets on base, he still hits, he's still, uh, he's only got, four, uh, sorry, 13 doubles this year. He's a guy that hits for doubles, and if he gets on base Steals. with a singular walk, he can steal second base. Yeah. So Pretty I don't much think every hit is like a double with Tommy Evan for how fast he gets to second base with the steals. Just to give you your answer, Alex, uh, Paul Goldschmidt has started 71 games wow. in the field. Uh, Nolan Arenado has started 75 games in the field. Tommy Those Edmund guys have had other games that yeah. where they played. They they have technically started more games than Edmund, but a lot of them have come at D. Tommy Edmund has been like the most worked Cardinal on this team. I th- I think I'm out on this, but it kind of depends on how they approach the pitching market. If they end up not being in on the higher level starters that actually upgrade what they have currently in the rotation, you've got to upgrade somewhere. And if that upgrade comes by form of you having a higher on base percentage guy that can help you batting leadoff, then yeah, I I think it's all about what the marginal upgrades are. Am I getting better compared to what I have right now batting leadoff or in my rotation? I think there might be more players that could help you batting leadoff than there are that can help you in the rotation based on what the Cardinals history has been. So I don't think that they're going to go that route. I would tend to believe that I'm out on this. But if they're out on the pitching market, then I would say I'm in. Then you kind of transfer over what you're willing to give up for a, a better hitter. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last one here for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals finish with just two players this year that have at least 25 home runs. Right now, Juan Yepes has 11. Nolan Gorman is fourth on the team, tied with Tommy Edmond with seven. And it's three players? In or out, the Cardinals have only three play or only two players that get at least twenty five home runs. And where's Goldie and Arenado? Nineteen for Goldie. Goldie and Arenado are the two that you would expect Arenado. to get it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that one of yeah. Yepes, Gorman, Pujols, anybody else? Gets I'm going to say in on this. Only two get twenty five or more. It's going to be Goldie and Arenado. I just don't think. I don't think the other guys, Gorman, Yepes, realistically, those are the ones that are closest. I don't think they're going to get to twenty five. Yeah, I'm with Alex. I'm in on this. I think the Cardinals are going to have those two get to the 25 home run mark. Yepes might get close, but he's going to have to get hot to really get he's towards have that to play mark. A lot. Yeah, and and Gorman Gorman doesn't start against left-handed pitching, so he misses a handful of games when lefties are there. And honestly, I don't know if he's got the power to get to 25 in terms of what the games remaining. So, 
I think I'm in on this. I think it is only going to be two guys with 25 home runs this year. I think so, too. And that just shows you how much they're missing Tyler O'Neill right now because he had 30, almost 35 last year. I think he was at 34. Last year's Tyler O'Neill because they, I don't know if this year's Tyler 100%. O'Neill gets to 25. No, I definitely Even if the injury doesn't happen, I don't think this year's Tyler O'Neill gets to 25. Maybe 20. I think he was it. heating up, so I think he might have been able to get there, but it, it was, was not the so same player. There's no doubt about that. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll let the BK and Ferrario rewind as we close things out here from Centene Community Ice Center. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio where the Blues are hosting Prospects Camp this week. But coming up next, the Cardinals ended up four All-Stars this year. Should they have had more? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues are hosting Prospects Camp this week. Alex and Tanner will be out here all week to pass along any information that there is to be had at Prospects Camp. The Cardinals announced yesterday that they have four All-Stars this year. It's going to be Paul Goldschmidt and uh, Albert Pujols. We already knew those prior to the weekend. But then yesterday they announced Ryan Helsley is going to be making his first appearance in the All-Star game as a reliever for the Cardinals. And Nolan Arenado is going to be a part of the team for the National League as well. So those are your four All-Stars. All four, I think, are incredibly deserving. I think it's really cool that they're doing this with Albert Pujols in his final year, uh, sending him off the way that he deserves to be sent off. And I, I know there have been some around the Cardinals that have wondered, hey, could he maybe be a part of the home run derby as well? I well, think that let would him be, mash. I, I saw the idea of doing a tag team with him and Miguel Cabrera. I think that would be awesome. Uh, Those guys would win. How would you tag team it? I guess like one, like when yeah, he gets whenever exhausted, they take the time out, out, the other guy comes in. I think that would be really cool to do with the old man rule. That yeah. has to happen. <laughs> that would be really fun. I would be locked into that. Uh, but I think these are the four that ended up deserving to make it. Unfortunately for uh, Tommy Edmond, I know that if you look at wins above replacement, he should have been in for shortstop. I, his hitting had tailed off so much. I didn't have an issue with him not making it into the All-Star game this year because of the guys that ended up getting in. They're, they're more than deserving. Did you guys think there were any other Cardinals that should have made it into the All-Star game? Tanner? I, I think there's one for me that stands out that should have been in, and that is uh, Miles Michaelis. Miles Michaelis having his bounce-back year coming off of all those injuries. He's thrown 106 innings and 17 starts, and I get it. If you look at the win-loss, he's below 500 at 5-7, and seven, but he's had eight starts this year where he's gotten 0-2 to two runs of support. So, uh, But with his numbers in his 2.72 ERA, and he's had uh, one complete game, and really, I'm going to call it two because he was a catch away from Bader getting a no-hitter as well. I think he should have been in, and I know a lot of people say, well, who you replaced him with? I'm replacing Clayton Kershaw. You know, he, he was voted in by the players. He got thrown in there. He, he's only made 11 starts. He's six starts short of what Miles Michaelis is. He's not even close to 100 innings pitched. I, I get it. He's been good, but I, I want to reward someone that's been a kind of an iron horse for their team. I think Miles Michaelis should have gotten in over Clayton Kershaw, and I would understand the argument for some of the other pitchers as well, but in terms of looking at the Cardinals roster, I think Miles Michaelis should have gotten to the All-Star game. I, I agree with that one. I think Miles Michaelis definitely, when you when you're top five in as many categories as he has is as a pitcher, he definitely should have been in over a Clayton Kershaw who was just voted in. Did I see that Carlos Rodon didn't get in? Yeah, he's not yeah, in he's as not well. In. Why? Well, that's what I'm he's saying. He's too good. That's what I don't understand. I, I, I'm also to the point where, like, I'm so done with the every team needs a rep. Like, why? 
That's because you're not a so fan Pittsburgh, of the team. So Pittsburgh fans can sit there and cheer about David Bednar, who's an all-star? Like, what are we doing here? I want the best players available at the all-star game. I don't need a guy who, well, he had a good season for his team. I, I mean, I'm kind of with Alex. I, like, do I we really need Joe Man- Mantiply? He's been really good. He actually probably is deserving of an all-star. That's fine. Ask any common baseball fan who Joe Mantiply is, and oh, I guarantee they, they won't know. They won't know. But I, I, I'm kind of at the point, too, where I'm not that big a fan, especially for teams like the Reds who basically went from, yeah, they hey, we were, we, were, we were a team that was contending for a playoff spot last they year, and then they said. all-star, though. Yeah. Luis Castillo should have been it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> How about we give it to a team that Jerk. actually has players that are actually trying? Look, I agree. Luis Castillo, all-star. He's had the year to support it. But, like, to Alex's point, the guy that got in for Arizona is a bullpen arm that's a left-handed guy. I, look, and, and what he's ha- deserving of that all-star one, but if you look at what Don's done, what Michaelis has done, I think they're more deserving than the left-handed bullpen arm that's thrown 32 innings this and year. And what's happened? Why is Travis Darno in as a reserve? Is that just for the position that he's the reserve? Because, like, their article I was reading said, like, Travis Darno was in as a reserve. Is that just for the catcher position? Yeah, he's yeah. just the backup. Who's the backup for the infield that got in over Tommy Edmond? I think, the guys that, Swanson? I think the guys that got in in the infield were more deserving than Tommy Edmond. And I hate to say that, but... Dan Swanson's batting three hundred with, what is it, 14 home runs and 55 RBIs on the season. He's been tremendous this year for the Atlanta Braves. Um, I, I've got no issues with Dansby Swanson getting in. Yep. He, I think the problem for, for Tommy Edmond in some ways was he moved from second base to shortstop. I, I know that yesterday Ollie made some reference to that, that that was something they were at least giving some consideration to. I don't think they weighted heavily, but that was part of the talk is are we hurting him with his chances for an all-star game here by moving him to short? I think the answer was yes. Like If you look at him compared to Jeff McNeil and Jazz Chisholm, I think he had a better shot to make it at second than he did at short because those guys at short are just, they've been outstanding so far this year. You look at what what Dansby Swanson and Trey Turner have been able to do offensively, they're both batting above 300 and they both have more than 10 home runs on the year. That's yeah. just, that's better offensively than what Tommy Edmonds done. And because he doesn't have the offensive numbers, he doesn't stand out when you take a look at him. Like yeah. to us here in St. Louis, you look at Tommy Edmonds and you go, well, he's kind of the full package. He plays great defense. He was able to do that while shifting over from second base to shortstop. Uh, he can steal. He's got the potential to steal 30 bases. He's got a little bit of pop. He plays the great defense, gold glove defense. And He's the leadoff guy for the Cardinals. Well, you look at that and you say, well, that's why he's got this the top guy in the National League in terms of war when you look at his numbers. But if you're a, if you're just a casual fan outside of St. Louis and you look at his offensive numbers, I wouldn't think that he was all-star deserving, just taking a look at it. And especially the fact that the matter that his OPS has really dropped back down to kind of his career norms. He's really cooled off from the hot start that he had. I understand why Tommy Edmonds not an all-star. Now, I do think if someone opts out, he will be one of the first guys that gets a call. And yeah. same with a Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright, because a lot of those pitchers... I think, I think Michaelis and Edmund will end up being at the all-star game. Yeah, a lot of those pitchers that have been named, a lot of those guys end up getting... They end up not going to the game because they end up uh, starting a game like right before the All Star. Uh, the Alex Ovechkin rule. I don't want to go. I need a vacation. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that you'll see a couple more Cardinals get in based on the fact that some guys won't be able to make it. Also, I think uh, who am I drawing a blank on? Someone's in the starting lineup. I think that's hurt. So like, th- there's going to be a trickle down effect from that uh, for Harper. both both. Yeah, Harper. Thank you. Harper's We've got William Contreras is going to end up replacing. Yeah, him. I was yeah. say he was the one that was there for it. Uh, I, by the way, on the Clayton Kershaw point, I, I should have probably mentioned this when you when you were talking about that, Tanner. It's in L.A., so they're absolutely – like, you had to have Clayton Kershaw Cool, there. but he wasn't good this year. He's been really good. He's just been hurt. He, he hasn't pitched so, a Why? Why? Why does he have to be there? 
Because it's in LA. Like, if it was in St. Louis, I would want them to, like, if Yadier Molina was still playing, I would want Yadier Molina to be there. This <laughs> well, Yadi P in Puerto Rico still, so <laughs> I can't know, make it. I understand. He's rehabbing. But I, I do think that it's really cool when you have more representatives from the place in which it is being held. See, I don't. I, it just it, makes it for a better environment. I get it, but I'm watching the All Star game. If they're deserving, I want to see deserving. the best. I, I think there are other guys that have been more deserving than Clayton Kershaw. And I think, I think they're well represented by having Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, that are. Because I think Freeman's going to end up getting in. I think I read somewhere that was the one I was thinking of. He's going to get in at is first Freeman base. Is Freeman a Dodger, today. or it's technically still a Brave? Eh, he'll tell you. Still, either a brave. way, I, the rea- the reality is this: it doesn't matter. This like, is the most important game. <laughs> this of the is year. the only All Star <laughs> game I get excited for, man. Yeah. Really? All of the only all of the other All Star games suck. I agree with him there. I, this one is definitely the best of the All Star games because it's the easiest to replicate what a typical game would look like without there getting without there being injuries. It's still like it means absolutely nothing. I can tell you this: if Joe Manipoli comes out of the bullpen, I'm turning the game off. He's been good. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. Um, th- I just want it to be entertaining, and seeing Clayton Kershaw out there in L.A. in front of the home crowd is going to be entertaining. I probably would. Oh honestly. God, get yeah. out of here! You're w- not starting him over Sandy Alcantara. I probably would. I would play to the home crowd. Oh. Having Albert Pujols as part of the Home Run Derby is really cool theater. That definitely like, needs I, to happen. I just want it to be entertaining. There's there's nothing more than that for me. These games don't ma- matter anymore. They are no longer tied to home field advantage they in right. a they World should bring Series. That, back. that was ridiculous. Just make the All-Star game All-Star game with prospects. Get this, rid of the prospect game. Just let the prospects play the All-Star game. C- celebrate the fans. Celebrate the players. Allow it to be just a really cool three- or four-day environment. That's all this needs to be. It doesn't need to be any more or less than that. And I think that's what it, it's become. So am I upset that Tommy Edmond didn't get in? Not really. I think Miles Michaelis, if he, if he ended up getting in, he would have been more than deserving. I don't have a huge issue with the fact that he was left off the list. I think Paul uh, Dakota Hudson should be in. All right, coming up next, we're in the BK and Ferrario Rewind as we wrap up my week here on 101. Hallelujah! (laughs) We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. As we finish up today, some final thoughts on the Cardinals, where things stand today. I'm going to be out for the next week or so. I'm hoping that things are going better by the time that I get back. What do you mean week or so? We'll see how long I end up carrying this over. (laughs) The hell kind of comment is that? I am am officially concerned about the Cardinals offense, but I think it all comes back to the the Brendan Donovan illness that they're dealing with right now was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, You're without Tyler O'Neill. You're without Harrison Bader. You don't have Yadier Molina to settle things down right now behind the plate. Tommy Edmond has gone into a slump. Juan Yepes hasn't been hitting the ball as hard as he was earlier in the season. When you have all of that going on and also Brendan Donovan is out and you have a two-man bench over the weekend, and by the way, Dylan Carlson was hurt yesterday with his knees dealing with some soreness there, it's just too much to be able to overcome. And I'm not saying this is not an excuse. It's an explanation as to what happened. They needed to be better before all of that. They weren't. They didn't take advantage. And now everything has kind of accumulated upon itself. I think they're going to be better. 
I think the offense is eventually going to be all right. But yeah, I do think it's totally fair to be concerned about it right now. It's nice to see, though, that the rotation has kind of picked up some of the slack over the last few days. Yeah, you didn't set yourself up well for this lull that you knew was going to come. And this all-star break needed to get here faster than ever for this Cardinals team to try and heal up all of these guys that are underperforming. The problem becomes... You can think that this team is better than what they are or believe that they're better than what they are, but when you find yourselves out by too much at the end of this all-star break because other teams have still succeeded, Philadelphia you're fighting with for a wild-card spot and you're about to lose another series against them, at some point you're going to have to go on another historic run, which might be too much to ask for from this team. Yeah, as concerned as I am with the offense, I, I think they're going to be able to turn things around. It's just going to come down to, can they turn it around quick enough to where it convinces the front office to go make that move that we're talking about? Because I still truly believe that this team is just missing that top-end starter to be a team that you can talk about as having World Series hopes right now. It's just kind of a wait and see, and right now it almost feels like they're just a hopeful team to be making the playoffs, but I do think they are better than this. When they get healthy, we'll actually see. The big thing that we're waiting for the rest of the day today is what the news is on Tyler O'Neill's wrist. They should have an update for you on the fast lane coming up from 2-6. to six. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, they'll be out here at Prospects Camp at the Centene Community Ice Center all week this week. I'm Brandon Kiley. I'll talk to you guys next week, maybe if I end up getting invited back here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.